This the American dream does the road And if you love the challenge, baby And you want some more of the challenge You can get it from Scott and Derek, baby If you will Over at patreon.com Slash challenge mania Ooh, thank you, Randy Thank you, Dusty But yes, as they said This podcast brought to you By patreon.com Slash challenge mania Where we bring you The Madhouse Starting this Wednesday Right after the challenge You'll hear me And you'll hear D. You didn't come for me. You came for D. He's in the Elite Eight of Challenge Madness right now, about to take out Johnny Bananas on his way to the Final Four. Mr. Derek Kaczynski. Oh, yeah. What's up, dude? Oh, nothing. I just wanted to thank uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage for gracing us with his presence from from the above, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, thank I know. you, D. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's been a while since we've seen you in, in the ring, and, 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 and we hope you're enjoying heaven. Because uh, you you were one of the greats, so um, yeah. Without further ado, let's uh, let's bring everybody else from back from the dead. The madhouse, the uh, the challenge is coming up here pretty soon. Scott, Wednesday night. What's gonna yeah. happen? Well, I look, Macho I- Man's gonna be there. I don't know. I mean, Watch, I, man, I think you watching? I think everybody. Oh yeah, you know who I'm watching? My friend, the Dynamo. Oh yeah. I think Mach wanted to do the intro to this podcast because we have a professional wrestler, a former professional wrestler, as our guest today. More on that in a second. No, it's not the Miz. Um, but yeah, I think everybody, whether they're on Earth or whether they're in heaven or whether on they're on Mercury, Mars, up your anus, wherever they are, are going to be watching the challenge on Wednesday. D. I mean, it's all we got. Unfortunately, though, it's funny. Like the fourth things we do have they're all on wednesday survivor the challenge aw nxt they're all on wednesday you got to pick your poison but that being said i think this challenge has a chance to have more eyeballs on it than any challenge ever maybe yeah it's like it's weird how the worlds have all collided you know and even with the tj podcast how you know the quarantine you know is, is relevant to the challenge and possibly I mean, they've got to be excited, right? Like the producers, the challenge guys, they got to be excited. They got to be thinking that this is the season that's going to blow all the seasons out of the water, no matter what, because we're all stuck without sports. Well, here's what I'll say. You know, it's not, it's not <clears throat> like when, for instance, you know, uh, say you got something on TV and it ends up being like the weekend of a snowstorm or something. So more people are home and the rating gets, gets sparked. And, you know, it's just, you know, kind of good, good for you because I'd assume, yes, they're happy. The ratings are going to go up and a lot of attention is going to be on the challenge. And yes, there's not as much competition, but this has, I mean, and I know you don't mean it this way, but this, you know, pandemic and this quarantine and everything has caused a ripple effect through the entire entertainment industry. And I wouldn't be surprised as much as I'm pumped because we're getting the challenge on Wednesday and we're getting a full season of the challenge. It's going to air in its entirety. D, by the same token, I wouldn't be shocked if, if this isn't the last challenge season we have for a year. Who knows? You know, who knows when, when reality shows can go out and start filming again. They can't even be doing their prep work, you know? 
All the stuff that you want to be doing, people going out and getting physicals, all the stuff that you need to do en route to a new season, can't even do any of that, let alone get on planes and travel to other countries, test out all the challenges. So not just the challenge, Survivor, Big Brother, every reality show, every television show, anything that's being filmed, all the Marvel shows being filmed for Disney Plus are all being affected. And that's something that we're not going to necessarily see now, but we might see come September, come the fall when these shows are typically premiering. That might not be happening, D. So, yeah, not to I, be I, a Debbie Downer or yeah, Donald I, Downer. I think I even heard that uh, Big Brother Canada. They sent everyone in Big Brother Canada home because of the coronavirus. Oh well, okay. You know what so, I'm well, so, so well, 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 first of all, so so they sent everyone home like three days ago. Uh, that oh. it, the fa- the fact that they went that long. It tells you something about the three brass days ago balls. or three or, or like two weeks ago. No, they literally just last week called a kibosh on Big Brother Canada. So, they were thinking, oh, hey, they've been quarantined the whole time. We can keep the cameras rolling, huh? So Big Brother Canada, Big Brother Germany, these things were still going because they thought, hey, look, we're sitting in a control room running these cameras. All the cast has been living in there for weeks. Who cares? They probably don't have it, you know, but then someone came in and goes, guys, this is not essential business here. Okay, you got to shut it down. So yeah, but yeah, but don't you think you could just like quarantine the production crew also? Like, can't you just like make them live in a house next door and then film the house next door? I don't know. I just see that it could happen. I'm just saying, you could finish the show. They live in the theater room. These guys live in the house, and bam, you shoot the show. You could do that, but the point is, first of all, the example that it's setting, right? You're telling people in Iowa, hey, don't go anywhere but the grocery store, and they're saying, but these people are shooting a TV show for fun, you know? So I think, you know, you hear everything trying to make it work, and as things go by, they're they're clamping down on everything. WWE just pre-taped WrestleMania because they think that would have gotten shut down if they waited till this weekend. Of course, it's going to air this weekend. They shut down the whole city of Orlando like two days after they got that taping done. So, you know, Big Brother is one of those shows where, again, they're essentially quarantined, right? So what you're saying is 100% true, but you just can't be doing these elective things these days, you know? I mean, all of it. It's just one of those things where how do you warrant it? Um, But luckily, the shows we're about to watch, the challenge was filmed months ago. So that's what's great about that. Here's the next elective thing that comes to mind with with all this. What – you know how like you sit down and Saturday morning, you wake up Saturday morning or back in the day we wake up Saturday morning and then bam, like the challenge would be on. Like if there was any time where they were going to like rerun the challenge or like do that again, where like, you know, two weeks from now we wake up Saturday morning and we see episode one and episode two replaying. I think that this is the time as well, because you know how like uh, you know, even when the Olympics are on or whatever, you wake up, you turn on ESPN and bam, or NBC, you've got like figure skating on. You're like, oh, fuck. All of a sudden you're like mesmerized by, by figure skating. I would just imagine this is like, this would be a great time for them to pull in, you know, more viewership or bring in more viewers for the challenge because I, I just, even like professional athletes who would normally just be watching ESPN right now just have ESPN, ESPN on fucking over and over and over again, it would now, you know, kind of, it would be a commercial 
to suck them in for the next like 10 years and become challenge fans. Well, I'm like, I've said this from the beginning. Cause look, how many times a day do you get somebody ha- tagging you in a tweet where they're begging MTV to stop airing ridiculousness and start airing old seasons of the challenge. And, and look, whether they're going to start airing the challenge gauntlet two on a Thursday morning or not, they don't even rerun war of the worlds once. You know, remember yeah. when you used to miss it on Wednesdays, but you could catch it on Friday. You could catch it maybe like an hour later. You catch it the, the, the week, the, the week after they would air it right before this and that. Granted, this is pre DVR. So it's very important to have reruns, but remember in the days where, and other networks still do this to get you pumped for total madness, they would do like a, uh, uh, what's it called? A, um, a marathon on like a Sunday, right. boom, just banging out. They don't do yeah. that for some reason. So I haven't had it formally told to me. I assume there's a reason for it. I don't know what it is. I keep coming back to maybe music rights. I have no idea. I have no idea what the reason is, but clearly the reason is not we want there to only be one show on MTV at all times, and that's ridiculousness. There has to be a reason for it, but you're totally right. There's no better time than ever to throw some other content on there. Dude, I think if they want to get a little bit of buzz, get a little get a little bit of PR out of this, I mean, I think they would go viral for a week if all of a sudden one day on MTV they just decided to like do a throwback week. You know, not just a challenge, maybe real world, maybe TRL, maybe the grind, maybe singled out, try to do all that stuff. Now, again, I don't know the legality of it. I don't know the mm-hmm. right stuff. I don't know the music stuff. But you see that kind of guidelines are kind of getting a little bit blurred during this and people are willing to make concessions. MTV just bought three old WrestleManias from WWE. They're running WrestleMania 32 tonight. This is the Sunday we're taking this intro. They're running WrestleMania 32 on ESPN at 7 o'clock tonight, D, if you want to oh. watch it with your son. Oh, you know? I, thought you said, yes, I thought you said MTV. No, MTV ESPN. Pop. ESPN. Yeah. But same deal. ESPN's never had WWE on in their right, life, you know? Right. But they're like, what do we do? We got nothing. Let's air something we haven't aired before, you know? Yeah. So I think by the same token, it'd be interesting if MTV did something like that as well. Granted, it seems like they don't care. It seems like they're now just trying to keep costs down. They're not trying to pay new people new rights fees. They're not trying. So I, I'm totally with you. I wish that was the case, but it doesn't sound like that's the case. So, um, you know, look, that's when you get creative. That's when you start looking for stuff on daily motion and youtube and this and that and don't get me wrong i think a lot of people have been doing that because we just are in the the closing stages of our challenge madness bracket and i'll use that as a segue to thank everybody who's participated so far and you know tweeted along with us and of course there's a couple more polls to go remember to follow me on twitter at shot of jaeger follow d at derek mtv that's where we've been retweeting the polls to put out the formal maniac bracket i filled out my bracket over on patreon.com slash challenge mania i filled it out live on the air where i made some decisions however i'm i'm still regretting my final decision i think i might make one change but either way this has been a fun way to get us ready for total madness to reach back into the past to compare some of the careers of people you played with d to the people playing today and then there's some people who are still doing both your johnny's and your wes's your ct's about to go out there and do the damn thing on wednesday but have you had as much fun with this as i have as as much fun as it looks like the maniacs have had because to me i think this was a thing that has temporarily maybe not for more than five minutes at a time but has sort of taken a little bit of the attention off all the sadness and all the awkwardness of everything else going on getting to just dive into a full-on challenge debate for a couple weeks here yeah no i thought it was cool um you, you, i'm just glad that everyone had a good a good uh a good time with it because um you know i i look at the voting over there at the uh at the challenge bracket you know the new elimination challenge bracket that challenge mtv has and compare you know how many people are voting over there in comparison to how many people are voting over here which were a, a much smaller you know uh uh i guess market if you will 
you know, than, you know, the, you know, 500,000 that are following over there. Um, and it, the, the votes are you know, comparable, you know, so I, I'm just glad that people are enjoying it and, and it gives them a chance to go down, you know, memory lane and, uh, and, and debate a little bit. Um, you know, of course, I'd rather be doing it for real. I'd rather have this final four right now on air for ESPN right now, you know, elimination style. Me versus Johnny, CT versus Alton, bring him back from the dead. We've already done that a couple times this year. Uh, um, who else we got there in the lead eight? Jordan versus Darrell? Come on, it's prime time. How do you Jordan pick between Durrell? Jordan and Darrell? That's just like, I mean, and, that right there. And Wes and Landon. Jesus. And Wes and Landon, that'd be great. That'd be great. You know, but we, it'd be great to bring Landon back from the dead. You know, see what he, you know, I wonder if he still got it, you know, against today's Wes. On primetime ESPN, right after WrestleMania, before WrestleMania, before WrestleMania. Right after Total Madness this Wednesday, we'll yeah. be diving into the madhouse. We're going to give, our- give you an extra elimination tonight, guys. We brought back Landon from way back when. We brought in Wes from Oklahoma and, 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 and St. Louis, Kansas City, wherever he's coming from. We're bringing him in one elimination just for you. A legend's elimination. Let's go. Yeah, talk about something you might be able to throw together. Talk about something you might be able to throw together if they do want to hit that schedule and they don't want to do a full-on season. I've always said it. Just a flat-out tournament would be sick. Just to do, switch it up. Just it's do got one to, little. It's got to be Don King. We'll make the phone calls. We'll figure out the game. We'll set it up. Call us. Dude, I'll Movie. commentate the whole thing. I'll do it in my own voice. I'll do it in JR's voice. Good God, it's Landon. They got Landon. He was selling dental equipment in Denver, Colorado. Have to get him out the woodwork here. Good God, it's Wes. Hasn't shaved in six months. My God, they kill him. <laughs> <laughs> shave his beard. I, uh, he did, he did just shave his beard. Voice. That was my I, No, that was voice. good. That was good. Puppies. Um, <laughs> I will say this, that Wes has the best of both worlds, D, because he's kind I of brilliant. Bad guy. Now, I make a great bad guy. I make a great Jerry the King Lawler, Scott. So you think you'd be a bad guy? I think you're kind of a good guy. I think, I, think I could like... make a good Jerry the King Lawler. Okay, in all right. In real life, I love being an asshole. In, in real life, I like being an asshole. I just can't quite get my there myself there all the time. Wes gets to have no beard in real life, and he has, gets to have a beard in TV life for the next few months, which is pretty cool. Um, we're going to be doing the Madhouse on Wednesday. We break down every episode. Guys, it, no one has anywhere to hide from us. Nobody has any excuses that are going to be valid. Try telling me that you got to, you got to, you know, close up your gym at night on a Wednesday night and have me believe you, Darrell. Mark, try telling me you got to go into work early the next morning. We're going to have a lot of guests on the Madhouse this season, uh, breaking down these episodes with us. There's only one way to find it, and that's at patreon.com slash challengemania. During these times, we can't be doing any live shows. The Patreon is a big deal to us. We really appreciate all the new patrons we've gotten, all the loyal pod squatters for the last couple couple years and we really appreciate you even considering becoming a patron for season 35 trust us when we say we will make it worth your while um we've had a lot of wrestling impressions so far d but we've got someone coming on the podcast who you know very well who i wasn't too well acquainted with so much so that i didn't even realize he was a wrestler mr dan walsh and this was your idea you sent me a stand-up comedy i'm laughing my ass off he goes into a joke about doing uh having a wrestling career and i text you i said is this legit too then you sent me a video of the wrestling man this podcast guest was like it's almost like i cooked up this guest in a chemistry lab for our (laughs) podcast yeah yeah i had to i feel like i had to hold you back from getting too nerdy with this thing but uh, we went we went went two hours fucking top yeah 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 well, yep. here's the thing about the two-hour podcast, guys. Hey, 
Again, as I said about Mark Durrell, whoever, you got nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. All we got is time these days. Don't tell me you want a shorter Challenge Mania, okay? You're only getting one this week. Might as well be two hours, you know? Listen to half while you're cooking breakfast. Listen to the next stir when you're going on your walk. You got to be getting these walks in, D. You got to be, you know, I don't know if you live in a neighborhood, if you have a bike, whatever. You got to get some exercise in. Don't just stay in the house all day. I have have a cage, bro. I I have a quarantine cage. I don't leave the house. I'm out of chicken. It's it's starting to get hairy around here. I don't don't know how I'm going to find a chicken. Get this man a chicken. Um, but yeah, guys, this is a long podcast and, and, and on a serious note though, I mean, this man's life has so many stages served in the military, has a 14 year professional wrestling career, long career in stand up comedy, which he's still at two seasons of the challenge that intersect with the really dark part of his life, had some problems with alcoholism and he touches on those in detail and we get to all of those ups and downs of the life of Dan Walsh. So, uh, if you like him on the podcast and you want to thank him for coming on the show, he needs followers too. All right. He wants them. So you got to follow him at Dan Walsh 83 on, uh, Dan Walsh 83 on Twitter for now. That's what it is. So look that up. And then on Instagram, of course, um, until he changes one of these, which we advise him to do. He is at Dan Walsh 314 on Instagram. So we're, we're hoping he has a little bit more uniformity by the end of the week, but, um, He's, he would love to hear from you guys. So hit him up, Mr. Dan Walsh. Really funny guy, Midwestern guy. Um, and he's fun and he likes talking about all this stuff. And as you know, D, I could talk about wrestling for days. You, like you said, you had to cut me off a few times. We do get a little bit of inside baseball here with that stuff, but I think people will still get it. You know, even if they're the most base level wrestling fan or they can't stand the stuff, you know, or, um, or whatnot. I think that. Hearing how all these things intersect, of course, with the challenge, with a couple of run-ins with you, uh, and hearing just, you know, how, how he ended up getting on road rules, and then how his end of his challenge career was a big turning point in his life in many ways. So I think this is an interview you guys are going to dig. Might be one that sneaks up on you, because he might not be top of mind for everybody. You know, he did just lose in the first round of the bracket to The Miz. How random is that, by the way? I did not do that on purpose, I swear to God. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's almost seems like behind the mat wrestling, behind the mat the challenge, behind the mat uh comedian, behind the mat uh sobriety, behind the mat alcoholism, behind the mat um getting arrested. Let's go, let's go, Sky. Let, give it to him. Give it to yes. him. Yes, here we go. Oh yeah, here we go. Dan Walsh, the Danimal. You got wandering eyes there, Dan. All right, here we go. Without further ado, good God, it's Dan. Is this uh, the Danimal, brother? This is. Oh, yeah. You got wandering eyes, Danimal. Oh, yeah. We sound like Jerry the King Lawler and uh, uh, who's the other guy? Jim Ross? Yeah. Yeah, we do? Sweet. Sweet. I mean, yeah, Dude, I, mean, I think it's... Macho man in there, but I, you know what? Oh, yeah, that, go was, that was the macho man. If, if, if we want good old JR, if we want what good, uh, this guy coming down from the, the Midwest turned stand up comic, Mr. Dan Walsh, aka the Danimal, I gotta wonder, are we getting the Danimal today or are we getting Mr. Walsh? I, I think you're gonna get Mr. Walsh today. The animal doesn't come out till at least after 5.30 in the afternoon, uh, Pacific time. Oh, uh, see, it's 5.40 on the East Coast, so you're cheating us. I mean, I get in all honesty, man. The Danimal hasn't come out in like ten years since I sold off the stock. I mean, if you, I can try and get real upset about, about something. No, no, no need to do that. Yeah. Um, what's up, yeah. dude? This is Scott Yeager. How are you? Nice to meet you. Pleasure, Scott. 
Um, Derek sent me one of your comedy videos I was watching, and then in it you go into a bit about being a pro wrestler, and I had to text Derek. I go, is this just a bit, or did he actually do wrestling? Because I'm like the biggest mark in the world. Like I literally, we were about to just do our Challenge Mania live in Tampa in next week. Because I wanted to go to WrestleMania weekend. Like literally, we schedule our live shows around wrestling. Um, and so I was shocked that I for some reason had forgotten or never heard that you were a wrestler or whatever, but that just blew my mind and took this, the potential of this interview to another level, my friend. Oh yeah, 14 years I was a pro wrestler. So that's my first question. Derek was trying to explain this to me, but let's just get it from the horse's mouth. What was, give us the timeline, the trajectory of your life from, you know, time you did in the military, the time you did in the squared circle, uh, the time you did on the challenge, where that factors in, and then you kind of transition into stand-up comedy, which you're still doing today, right? Yes. All right, so yeah, lay that out for me. And military. Yeah, and all of them kind of, at one point, are all running right over each other. So like I start, I went to wrestling school when I was seventeen. Where'd so you like go? My, like senior year of high school, and then uh, what wrestling school? You're, I, I, I'm gonna want all the details here because like you'll probably do a hundred interviews where nobody gives a fuck who you were trained by, but like I need to know where you I went thought, and got trained. See, here's the here's the thing. I thought we were gonna start this interview out like like Tiger King style of like. When we left the island and you were getting arrested and you were going to be like calling us from the fucking, you know, from the police station after we landed in Panama. But Scott wants to know what wrestling school you went to. Oh, okay. yeah, baby. It, it, I need to know all, if you were trained by Dr. Rose. into each other. Yeah. No, it's great. No, no. We're, we're going to get to that. Let's get the Mick Foley story. Let's get the Mick Foley story. Of okay. Dan Walsh to Danimal. Derek only knows Starting one wrestler, wrestling. so he sees everything through the lens of Mick Foley. So it's the only wrestler he knows. It's the only reference he can make. Uh, you know, I love, I love Derek's references. Yeah, because what did, what were you, one time he kept saying the Nexus. He just kept, I was like, what are you talking about? But he meant NXT. Yeah. But he kept saying the Nexus, and I was like, oh, so that's what he means. But I, I love it because he's so enthusiastic. Yeah, it's funny. He but, has references. It's as if he was cryo frozen. Like he'll drop like a Rick Rude <laughs> reference, like it's timely, or like Ray Mysterio. Anybody with a mask is Ray Mysterio to him. It might as well, you know what I mean. So uh, someone could rob his house in a mask, and he'd be like telling the cops, "I think it was Ray Mysterio." I don't know. Um, oh, I know. It could have been a lucha libre. It was. It was a lucha libre. I know the difference between any other lucha libre and Ray Mysterio Jr. Okay. Ray Mysterio or Psychosis, and that's a, that's it. That's where it, it's one of those two who robbed my house. So where were, where were you? <laughs> it definitely when you, wasn't Psycho Sid. Where were you living when you decided you wanted to train, and where did you go to train, and, and who were you trained by? Oh, okay. So when you get into the whole who was I trained by, that's going to take place over years. Because when I first went to school, I was trained initially by. And I was living in St. Louis, Missouri. I. I, well, that's where I'm born and raised. And literally, I drove like an hour to this wrestling school. It was like the only wrestling school that I had heard of. It was like in the middle of nowhere. It was a place called Pacific, Missouri. It's like an hour out. So I go out there and it was basically like nothing against these guys, but like, uh, you know, they were just, <laughs> they were, they were guys that had been places. Like the first guy who like really worked out with me is a guy named, uh, a Bill Talley or Damian Blade who wrestled in FMW. In Japan, and then also did a couple tours with uh, Bad Brad Elliott over in Europe. So that's like those are the first guys who were teaching me how to bump, 
and run the ropes and stuff. Uh, there's also a guy named uh, Rage and then uh, another gentleman uh, named the searcher, Pat Jones, who these guys had like worked all around. Like, you know, and then you're talking, this is in two, 1999. So, I mean, it was a different time in wrestling. Like, the, this is definitely heavy kayfabe. Like, you get in there. I was a small guy, a small kid. So basically in the beginning, they just didn't want to teach me anything. They just kind of wanted to, in a way, beat the crap out of me to see if I would just even come back. Um, but one night, this, this we, I, I stuck around. You know, I did everything like you're supposed to help tear down the ring, pick up the ring, did security, all the stuff for these guys. Um, around that company was, you know, still coming around and wrestling was Bob Orton, legendary Bob Orton. He's one of the guys that kind of like went in and out, was still in the area, you know, older. Um, around that time is when Randy was recruited and beginning to train. I believe he's down at South Broadway, which is the same scene that I was coming up on. And uh, so it was in the beginning I was trained, uh, need to know because people didn't know or, you know, didn't know if, if I, if, if first of all, small. And then back then their whole thing was like there was no cruise, like that cruiserweight stuff. The NXT stuff of today, like that just wasn't a thing. If you were small, they didn't want anything to do with you. Um, you could be a referee or you could be, you just weren't going to do anything. But I was, I was like 180 pounds. I played hockey and lacrosse. So I was a pretty like lean, agile person, but not big, 5'10", I think. So I basically started off just doing what I could to get like, you know, to bump, get training here and there. Um, I was going to this. I switched over to this other school that a bunch of my friends from uh, the, the place that I trained. And here's something. Okay, here's something that's neat for you, Scott. One of the guys that I was training with at that time had gone. Will will be the guy who will eventually go on to do Randy Orton and Bray or Bray Wyatt's tattoos and actually design the Fiend mask. Really? What's that so guy's this, name? Because yeah, I've heard that name thrown Scar- around a lot. Yeah, Kyle Scarborough. Who okay. Does the Washington Tattoo Collective. Out in Washington, Missouri, they were. He was. He was actually wrestling for a while, and that's who I had learned, or that's who I had met as a friend through there. And and he was everything they wanted. He was like a big guy, intimidating looking. I was really small and tiny, but he liked me and kind of kept me around, I guess, and like helped me by going to this other place where maybe they were going to take me a little bit more serious. Um, so I went over to this company. Who, um, I mean, I would say that guys that would go on. I mean. I don't want to start throwing names, but this one, we were getting closer to where I needed to be. Basically, um, I went to this other school, this guy named Chris Powell, who it was Metro Powerhouse, or, uh, excuse me, it was uh, at the time Missouri Powerhouse Wrestling, it would switch to Midwest Powerhouse Wrestling. Um, that's when I would actually, this company would be the company that I'd actually work directly with Bob Orton and like Dan Severn and, and guys like that. Um, Dan Severn, I know that name. Yeah. So these guys, these are guys that like, so we're starting to get closer to where... I need to be, and uh, basically one day I went into their school and I'd been watching a Crocodile Hunter marathon all night, and I got in the ring and started doing just the Crocodile Hunter impersonation and, like, wrestling with one of the guys in the ring like he was a crocodile and pretending like I was going to put my finger up his butt and doing the accent and everything. And uh, they thought it was hysterical. They thought it was the greatest thing. So here I am half trained, and they're like, oh, no, this is great. You're going to be on the show next week. So they gave me this gimmick as the Crocodile Kid, and then uh, I started working and, uh, it, it, like basic, I, I knew nothing. So I was, a lot of it was learning as I went. 
And uh, I, it was it, like as much as the promoters thought it was a great idea and some of the bigger guys thought it was good, the rest of the guys who've been wrestling for 10, 15 years didn't. So they were just, let's just say I got a lot of ass whoopings for that uh, in the ring before I even knew what liberties were. But I learned. I learned as I went. And then I started working for a company named GCW, which I would work with the likes of people like uh, Matt Seidel, who Evan Bourne, um, Delirious Hunter Johnson, who's now head of uh, Ring of Honor. Um, I literally worked with those guys as they were starting. I was coming up. We were kind of all training together. Dingo, who was another guy who went on to do Ring of Honor. Um, these guys all did Japan, stuff like that. Um, and GCW so is the company that is Game Changer Wrestling. No, 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 no. This one was Gateway Champions of Wrestling. Oh, got it. So different than, cause there's the, the game changer wrestling that does like Josh Barnett, Bloodsport and the Joey Janela show and this. That's a different oh, company. Oh. Yeah, that's completely. This is Gateway Championship Wrestling. Started in St. Louis, in the St. Louis area. Got it. Um, like I said, it's, it was where Matt Seidel, Evan Bourne and Delirious, uh, Hunter Johnson of, uh, th- that is where they got their start. Like literally the GCW school wrestling school and then they would run uh shows and stuff they they would do like these i mean i will say at that time it was the big ecw push so they were on the hardcore side they were kind of a lot like the old ecw you know it was either like high flying high spots or brutal shit which is like what i found myself getting into in the beginning because i wasn't the biggest guy i wasn't the best high flyer so basically if i wanted to get on the shows i had to let people throw me in barbed wire hit me the chair or so on and so forth. Now we're talking. Now we're talking the cool names. You yeah. know, how many freaking nails you got stuck within the back? How many oh, yeah. times you've bled? How many times you've, you've taken the, the steel chair to the head, which I've probably done pro- maybe just as many times as you have for fun. See, I but, go the yeah, other way. I, I don't, oh, see, see, I, see, I get anxiety hearing about that shit. Cause I, I feel, I feel like I'm, you know, complicit in it. Cause I grew up going to ECW shows, but now I think with a little bit of separation from it, like you mentioned that time period where everybody was trying to copy that style. And that was sort of the easiest way to, you know, go bigger and, and more hardcore and this and that was to go more dangerous. And now we found, I think in 2020, I think you would agree, you know, even if you just watch wrestling, let alone perform that there are other ways to get that sort of reaction that don't involve, as Derek said, nails or chair shots directly to the head and all this stuff. We're kind of smarter, not harder these days. But if you do want to talk about that time in your life, my question and caveat would just be, do, do you think that it was worth it? All that, all the danger you put your body in during that time period. Yeah. And correct uh, me, uh, I, I would say at that time, you're absolutely right, by the way. And, and it wasn't even, it was a time when they tried, in all honesty, it was Paul Heyman who was going up against two giants who had to make his product stand out with little to nothing. And so, yeah, it is. It's shortcuts. Well, then, they, then they started copying it. You know what I mean? Like they're the ones who threw Mick off the cage. They're the ones who threw Jeff Hardy off of God knows what. You know, they threw Mick through a flaming table or two as well. So it became this copycat over copycat and this and that. And if you're in the high school gyms and and you're literally just trying to grasp at those 300 people you're trying to sell tickets to, that's when the real insane shit happens. And some of the craziest shit that I'm sure you did or that people did on the shows you were on, you did for an amount of money that I think anyone can agree is probably not worth putting your life at risk or a risk of infection or scarring and all this stuff so derek when you start talking about yeah "Yeah, this is what i want to get to baba i'm like oh man this is the stuff that makes me feel bad about being a wrestling fan 
Okay, okay, okay. Call the fucking ambulance. We did that. People did that. It was fucking (laughs) awesome. You watched it. Stop complaining about it. Okay, let's get into the stories because I'm sure that some of these stories that you're about to tell us where you let them beat the shit out of you, where you went through a couple tables, there was blood, you went, you went to the, you know, to the back room and the locker room where you're like, fuck. I can't believe I didn't break something or I did break something. And these, all these stories will eventually lead to you getting on the challenge. Your first challenge, I believe, the island. Wait a minute. You were on road rules first. But all of these stories, all of these stories, I'm pretty sure you had to tell a producer to get you on the show because I had a lot of dumbass stories that eventually I told casting producers that eventually got me on the show. So this is challenge mania. Let's, let's blend it together. Oh well, it, it, uh, it, feel it, free to spend that, twenty more minutes on the wrestling. We're all quarantined. We can, we can, we can, we can extend the wrestling part of this one. I don't think we have to get okay. to the challenge that quickly. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Then correct okay. me if I'm wrong. Okay, correct okay. me if I'm wrong. All right, go ahead. I will say I, I, I can start to try. I, I'll, I'll give you a, a Scott being a wrestling fan. I'll give you the the Cliff's notes leading into, and then we can get into the stuff. That Derek wants to get into. But here, I can make everybody happy. We can okay, do when, both. No, no, we can do. We I, can what do I'm both. saying is, what I'm saying is, is, is it works because whatever stories you're about to tell us is going is is. Correct me if I'm wrong. You had to tell a story or two to the casting producers to get you on the show, right? Because eventually, this all blends together. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, to be completely honest, bleeds together. From wrestling, but it, it, it wrestling wasn't a big part of my interview to get in there. Oh, really? It was something they used, but like when it came to most of my stories, that wasn't. I mean, yeah, they, at that time, by the time I got on the challenges, man, I'd already been to the Marine Corps, I already went to Iraq, like I'd done other shit. So mm-hmm. it was like they they kind of you they minimal like the wrestling was kind of just a minimal part of it. Mm-hmm. Was at it that, ever mentioned point. when you were on the show? Did I somehow just not pay attention? Because like to me, like the Miz, like. Even him wanting to be a wrestler was a big part of his identity on the real world and on the challenge. So when you go back and you kind of do, you don't even have to do a revisionist history. Everybody remembers him talking about that. He calls a shot. He gets off of the challenge. He becomes a wrestler. Whereas you, dude, I, I don't know. Was it ever mentioned and I just forgot or whatever? Or, or is it kind of in tune with your casting experience that they kind of downplayed it? It was Yeah, they downplayed it because it, it was in my road rule season. In the clips leading up, they show like clips to me in the ring. Mm. But other than that, it really isn't talked about. They put probably more emphasis on the military stuff or, uh, let's just be real, the alcoholism, because that pretty much took over everything. Um, I really, I gave them enough stuff in person to talk about. They didn't really have to dive back into that. I've been wrestling by the time I got on the challenges. I've been wrestling since I was 18. So, I mean, I got on at like 24. I was already six years into wrestling by that point. So it was just, it was, uh, I don't know, just, they just never really brought it up, man. I mean, and here's the thing. I continued doing it. Like whenever, even when I went, to, I went to boot camp and then I like got home and here's, here, you know who I wrestled when I got home on leave and I decided to wrestle a, a wrestling match after being in boot camp and, and training and all that was Evan Bourne. That was my first match back. After Marine Corps boot camp was against Evan Bourne, Matt Seidel, who maybe some people, I mean, he's still out there and doing great things with Impact Japan, did his thing with WWE, but 
it was funny to get in because I hadn't wrestled in so long and you're, you go through all the military training and then the first dude you're wrestling is literally one of the fastest, most agile, you know, in the air kind of people. And had I not known him well or been around him that, that long, it, it could have been a disaster, but he actually wanted to make it really fun and really funny. So that's always one thing that, you know, with those stories that tie both the world, the military and the wrestling together, that was, uh, that was my first match out of boot camp. So, or, or coming back. So just to let you know, it's got like they were the wrestling, the military, and then eventually, you know, even the stand up comedy, uh, which is, I started that when I got home from Iraq because during my deployment, I was always a pretty funny guy. I could tell the stories. I would tell stories, you know, about wrestling or whatever, and everyone would just crowd around and talk and like listen to me. So, like, my commanders and that made me the entertainment. So if we were ever stopped for, you know, five, ten minutes or whatever, they, 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 they you know, wanted to entertain everybody, be like, Walsh, get up, tell a story. Do that impersonation of this guy. Do that impersonation of our commander. And that was just what I did. So the entertainment part that was wrestling now was starting to form itself into stand-up comedy because I was performing in front of all these guys while we were deployed and going into war zones and stuff like that. So the the world, whenever I tell the story or whenever people hear the different things that I do – it's they're confused because like how old are you like thinking I got to be 60 or something but a lot of this stuff really was running right on top of it I was always one of those guys where if I wanted to do something I just did it so the wrestling and the comedy were going simultaneously because I just liked entertaining people and then I was doing both of them while while serving in the military so that would all I was doing all of those up until I was about 24 and then that's when I got uh cast on road rules which was due to a dare because I was living with uh, one of my friends and his fiance who watched the challenges constantly. And I think I was joking one night and I said, these guys just get drunk and like yell at each other. I could do that. <laughs> well, send a tape in. I said, all right, fine. And I just sent this tape. In. <laughs> and I, I made the tape, the wrestling tape at a wrestling school in St. Louis at the Lemp brewery, which is like one of the most haunted places in America. Um, uh, and I sent it in, and I honestly thought I'd never hear anything back. I went out about my life, and then I got a call from like an 818 number that was like, oh, this is such and such from the real world. Uh, we were watching your tape, and literally I thought it was a joke. I thought, I thought someone was messing with me. So like for the first three calls they gave me, I didn't even take it serious. I was just waiting <laughs> for someone to be like, yeah, we're just kidding. And it wasn't until they like asked me to like go to Chicago and meet with somebody that I was like, oh, shit, this is real. Like, you know, I, and I think I still was kind of – I was waiting for somebody to pop out in that hotel lobby and be like, yeah, no, it's not real. We're just kidding. <laughs> so, but yeah, that was all that. But, it, yeah, as far as uh, Derek, your question, how much how crazy stuff. Dude, I've done – in wrestling ring, I've done barbed wire. I've been thrown through tables. I got a gash in the back of my head because someone power bombed me. Well, in my mind, I thought I'd be power bombed onto two table or two chairs in the middle of the crowd, which I thought would get them all excited. Uh, when I hit the two chairs, they shot out from like shot out from underneath me, and I smacked my head and I bled. I bled so much that like the crowd just separated, and like no one was even cheering anymore. Like one guy, I remember I was like, my, the guy picked me up. And the guy, like, and I can't see anything because literally there's blood in my eyes. And I just hear this grown man go, oh, oh, this, this is too much. He's, he's not even cheering. I just, everyone just got this, like, disgusted, 
Like, I don't know. It was weird. Everything went quiet. And this wasn't even a match we were intending to be that crazy. It was just like, you know, a, a move gone wrong. But I bled so much that I kept my, I kept like shutting my eyes because blood kept getting in my eyes that the blood actually sealed over my eyes. And I got to a point where I couldn't open them even when I tried. So, you know, the old, um, the old breaking, breaking the eyes move, Scott, that they do. Like, really, a guy literally had to pretend to rake my eyes to get the blood crust off of my eyes so that I could see him to finish the rest of the match. So that's def- – yeah, I still have a few scars from that stuff. So it definitely – I agree with you. I think the weapon stuff is a shortcut, and I don't think it's necessary. But I can tell you that some of the most brutal or, like, biggest injuries that i gotten were not even in those, like, gimmick matches. It was just in – matches where there was either high stakes and we were like, hey, man, let's just get out in the crowd and brawl or let's just do this. And then shit just got way out of control because especially it's not even if you're working someone you don't like. If you're wrestling someone that you like, that's like you consider a friend, that's when it gets worse. That's when you guys like really mess. Most of the permanent scars on my head and probably the permanent injuries I had that resulted in me having to get out of wrestling most likely resulted in wrestling one of three people who I hold closest to me in the business and that I was with the whole time. So that's the funny part about wrestling. So you, you just mentioned that you ended up getting out of the business. When did you do that? And then we, cause we, then we can kind of, uh, move past that, but just so we kind of can do the math, like when did you end up doing that? And then you mentioned it was like the scars and stuff. What specifically was it that made you decide to to stop wrestling? So like over time, I was my body was getting pretty beat up anyway. It's like I, I had issues with my like spine. Um, one of the discs, I think, was it was it was so messed up that literally, and I didn't know this, my elbow kept swelling and I couldn't make a grip with my uh, right hand. And it, I thought it was like an elbow issue, but then, yeah, my doctor wound up telling me that there was something like a nerve or something was pinched between two of my discs. And that's why my hand, I guess it like connects back to your hand or whatever. That's why my whole arm, like the lower part of my arm wouldn't work. So that was already getting bad coming into about 2012. And then uh I had some issues with my neck. Uh, and then basically over the years, man, I was taking chair shots. I was just just the ring just taking, you know, superplexes, you know, bumps, stuff like that that didn't have anything to do with, you know, weapons, let alone all the weapons. And I mean, if you go on YouTube or on YouTube, there's literally a clip of a guy throwing a shopping cart. I'm in a tree of woe in the corner. He throws a shopping cart at me. Like, that's just the stupid shit I did just because, I don't know, also my adrenaline went, whatever. My body got beat down pretty bad. Um, It was, and this is no, this is the funniest part of it. You know how in every sports story or every sports movie or like every – you always hear about that guy that like almost made it if he wouldn't have hurt his knee or that time when he could have did this. But then this tragic thing happened. Well, that's kind of where I was at in wrestling. Like I started – I wrestled uh, for a little while with like WLW, which was Harley Race's company. Uh, I got to be around, you know, the champ, you know, on a, on a few occasions and things were looking up. I had gotten to wrestle in front of Jerry Briscoe and – you know, my body had finally gotten to where it needed to be as far as, like, my weight. I was at, like, 215. I was finally where they wanted me to be because I was always so small. And uh over the years, I just – I had probably gotten more concussions than I should have. 
And uh, I had actually gotten an opportunity to go work for uh, quite possibly go work for Ring of Honor in that that summer. And then this is around 2014 ish. So um, basically, like after all these years, it was like, you know, they were like, hey, you know, you're, you, you I could always cut a mean promo. I was always a good worker as far as like putting people over and very, you know, I just never had the look. And I finally got the look and it was one of those like, OK, well, let's start using you. And I was wrestling a match and like it wasn't even a, like a big deal, I think. And I can't remember exactly what happened, but it was either this insecurity to my head or something that I did on the outside. Like I grabbed they had an inflatable leprechaun as their mascot. And I don't know why I thought it was a funny idea to grab the, the, the inflatable leprechaun and suplex it onto the floor. But when I did, I smacked my own head. And then between that and a kick to the head, I don't know what had happened for sure. But yeah, after the match, like I was just delirious. I couldn't, I couldn't remember where I was at. I w- I couldn't complete sentences. And it just went on for a week. I was throwing up. I couldn't adjust the light. And yeah, I finally got in. Long story short, uh, had gotten, my brain wouldn't stop swelling after, like it was doing its slight swell that it would do a day after a concussion, but it had kept up for a week. So they put me on steroids and stuff like that to get it down. And then I, I tried to get tested a few more times to see if I can go back to wrestling. And basically they were telling me that with what they were seeing, that they wouldn't recommend me do any kind of full contact sports for at least a year, maybe even longer. And at that point, I, was, I think I was in my 30s. So like in wrestling, you have a shelf life, man. Uh, if you're not signed or you're not in by a certain time, then pretty much they're not going to sign you because you're just you're you're used beef. You're too beat up, and uh, that's when I made a decision of like, hey, man, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to focus solely on comedy, uh, which I was already doing good at anyways, and then that's what brought me out to uh, L.A. 2016. Is it is it safe to say that getting hit with the shopping cart ended your wrestling career? You know what? I'm telling you, this is the weirdest part about it. It's not these big ones. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I, I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Dude, one time, I'm not kidding. I was, there was a girl that was somebody's valet. And I was like sitting on the end of the ring and she was supposed to just, just come up and like hit me while I was on it. And this bitch like elbowed me in the back of the head. And I remember, like, right after she, I was, like, seeing stars. Like, I don't know if she just hit the right spot or whatever. But I said, this little thing caused me to see more stars than, you know, chairs, you know, anything I've been hit with. Like, her little elbow going into the right part of the back of my head. Probably, I, I, you know what? I'm going to blame her. She probably did it. That little elbow. That's what ended my career. Yo, yo, um, so correct me if I'm wrong. So when you get hit in the head with the chair... And I, I completely lied. I, I, I haven't taken as many chairs to the forehead because I, I, I completely lied. I fucking put my hand in front of the chair so it hits my hand, makes the fucking loud noise, and I fall down. You know, Smart. like, I didn't realize <laughs> you motherfuckers literally are taking headshots. Like, I didn't, like, like, I, I probably one or two times I get hit in the fucking head and I'm like, ah, oh, this shit hurts. Let me just fucking make, you know, hit, I'll go hit me, hit me with the chair. Bam, I throw the, I throw the hand in there, make the noise and fall on the ground. Like it, it looks the same. I thought that's what 
you guys were doing. I thought that that was like the illusion of like wrestling then, being so real. Let me and tell me if I'm wrong, Dan, in speaking on this matter. But so if you ever go and watch wrestling from the say late '90s, you know who puts their hand up? Steve Austin. You know who puts his hand up? The Rock. Because they're like, I don't care if I look like a badass. I'm putting my hand up. I don't want to get 40 concussions. You know who doesn't put their hand up? Balls Mahoney, Bubba Ray Dudley, Mick Foley, the guys who are like, I want to look badass that I don't put my hand up. Now, the whole thing's ass backwards because, to be honest with you, the whole thing shouldn't matter whether you're putting your hand up or not. You don't look more badass by not defending yourself. You know, everyone should kind of be getting their hand up a little bit, but it becomes a pride issue, particularly on the independents, like where Dan's wrestling, where these guys want to prove to the, you know, the 500 people there, 1,000 people there that, hey, I'm a badass. I'm taking this shot right to the face especially since people are so close and seeing it close up that it looks even more real when you don't put up the hand but just not putting up the hand a little bit can make it a hundred times worse for your brain and that's why those guys like the rock and steve austin you know don't have the same issues that a lot of the guys from those eras have because they put their hands up and at the time did it look as cool no it didn't really but those guys were stubborn and were stubborn in the right way and we're like nope i'm putting my hand up yeah yeah it's uh, like yeah, i agree I agree. Yeah, it's you are. If I could go back and here's the thing, if I was taking it in the ring where I was away from the crowd, then for the most part, I would. I'd have my hand up and stuff like that, because you're right. It's like it, the idea. Yeah, the, the idea is great. No, you're at 100 percent. Everything you just said was right. And it was I wouldn't. It was one of those where I would do it because, you know, you'd be in the crowd fighting through the crowd at certain points. And you would have all them right around you. And you would have all these, like, you know, teenage kids, oh, the shit's fake, the shit's fake. So it was always good in my stupid mind to be like, okay, hit me with that. And when they go to hit it, I'd keep my, I'd just take it dead in the head. And you would get that holy shit reaction from the crowd where they were like, oh my God, that, is, you know, and it kind of, in my mind, I guess in my stupid mind, it was like, oh, this is, this is me defending the business. And in reality, everything you just said was right. You know, the I, you know, if you want to last long, you, you want to make money in this business, you got to last long. And knowing what I know now, being older and stuff, it's that your money making doesn't have anything to do with how much shit you can take. It's how well you entertain. And you got to be around long enough to do it. So, yeah, not putting the hands up it was a, a very stupid thing. And in reality, you should be swinging them at people's heads anyways. Nowadays, they do a lot of them to the body. That was the right idea. Yeah, they, don't, they don't even allow it. They don't even well, allow it to the head uh, anymore in yeah, the, in the in bigger companies. They're 100%. I mean, I, I agree. And it is. You're just, you know, as a kid, you're stupid. You think you're like, you're proving yourself in the business or you're, you know, if you sacrifice them, then people will know you love it. I don't know what stupid thing I was thinking. But, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you, man. I went and wrestled a match. Like two weeks ago for a friend of mine just to get – they had some younger guys, and I just got in there and kind of healed it up. And, oh, you bet your ass I didn't do anything I didn't have to do because it was like, you know, it was too bad that, it, you know, it, after my career was over or any chances of me doing anything were over that I learned this. But, yeah, you're absolutely – you're like, for what? If you're not around to entertain anybody, then it doesn't matter. So, I mean, you got to, yeah, put your hands up. And, yeah, Stone Cold, highest grossing – wrestler of, of you know of our time so if anybody would know that guy would know the rock same way so yeah they yeah. had the right idea i had the wrong idea well but that's that's the sad part of society at times you know it's like it's like the you know the federation or wh whoever you're working under is like yeah yeah 
take that to the, to the face, you know, or to the head. Like, but I, a lot know, of time you're wrong, we, dude. A lot of times it's, it's tell me if I'm wrong, Dan. I, it's the performer who does who doesn't want to put the. It's not like Vince McMahon is saying, "Damn it, Rock, put your hand down." No, he doesn't give a shit either way. It's the performer. Who knows? He doesn't want that kid in the audience, like you said, saying, oh, it's fake. He doesn't want the other guy taking a better chair shot. He wants it to look legit. It's it's not the company saying, hey, you need to not put your hand up. It's it's the guy, right? It's your own pride, right, Dan? Is that what you're saying? I would say I would say nowadays, yes. But in the beginning, like in the earlies, like I, when I first got started, if you put your hands up, they said you were a bitch. Like you, that's what you were branded as. Mm. And they kind of dir- like these that. are dirty scumbag indie promoters in the middle of America, right? <laughs> no, who these, they- are, these are actually like, believe it or not, these were like guys who were up there in the eighties and early nineties coming down. Yeah, it just it was you know, Scott, you're right. For uh, definitely nowadays, they'll never have you do it. Uh, back in the day, there was this turnover time where you were coming out of an era where people weren't doing it as much. It wasn't as rapid. So it was okay to take the full blunt, but then once it came down to people doing it in every single match three or four times, then the rules changed. And yeah, idiot wrestlers still kept doing it. And then yeah, pride issue. Definitely. I'd say nowadays you're 100% right. But even in the beginning, man, they wanted you to do it because they thought that was like the way you'd get people in the seats. But that, yeah, but that's the evolution of like sport, of any sport. It's like you're, you're constantly learning, you know, now they're talking about, you know, with everything going on with, with football and the concussions and the hits and the, now they're going low hits are illegal, you know, head hits are illegal, um, defensive players h- hitting defensive players are illegal and all that shit. Like that's all evolution to the point where you're like, all right, you know, I'm sure at some point they're like, all right, look, you can't take a headshot unless you are putting your hand up. You too. Yeah. Uh, you can't take a headshot at all with the chair. So uh, I'm sure that they had enough cases come out that that's like, you know, even when we had Miz on, he was kind of like steering away from it. And I didn't understand why, because I always thought, why the fuck don't you put your hand up? I thought that that's what they did. I thought, again, that was the illusion of wrestling being faked. Like when I'm going to stomp you out, I'm not actually stomping on your face. I'm making a noise hitting the ground while I look like, while it looks like I'm stopping you in the face. Then I went to WWE a couple, whatever, a couple months ago, and I'm seeing these guys hit each other right in the face, kick each other right in the fucking face. And I'm like, damn, this shit, this shit is more real than I'd ever, than I'd ever imagined. Right now, the shit that they're doing to each other, as far as the forearms and the kicks, I can take my last few years of wrestling with this whole forearm kick knee shit. That's way more damage to the body than, than in my, my, my experience than chairs are. So it's like, yeah, I agree with you. And I wrestled the, like the flying like, knee, the flying knees are the ones that like, I can't now, now granted, I've been close up enough where I see it and I'm like, some of these guys like Kenny Omega, Seth Rollins, like they do become like precision artists where like, if you look close enough, it's yeah. like, they're not really killing them, but it looks like they're killing them. And you can't tell me that one out of every 10, they're not really taking some off of the motherfucker's yeah. jaw. So to me, it's no. like, dude, I'm with you, but that's, that's, that's the thing that's replaced it is the strikes, the precision strikes, the Alistair Black roundhouse kick can't tell me that's not come on somebody's getting nailed with that every now and then like people got to realize concussions it's the rattling of your brain it's the shaking it's the impact cesaro's european uppercut i guarantee you jar someone's head and neck just as much as a chair shot it's just a chair shot's blunt impact it's like that that's what i'm saying like when i wrestled dudes who were doing these 
European uppercuts, these sentons onto your, you know, they were doing shit to me that was hurting me way more than a weapon. So it was almost like when a guy grabbed a kendo stick, I'm like, swing away. That kendo stick ain't shit compared to this dude who's giving me, you know, a, a, a cherry bomb from the top rope or, you know, jumping up behind, even the gut buster. You know, you get a gut buster. That's like getting, like, I felt like it was like getting rear-ended in a car. So it's like some of these moves, and here's the, like, when I, before I stopped, I literally wrestled with the Undisputed Era for like three companies, every single one of those guys. And they're all amazing, especially Kyle O'Reilly. They are amazing at what they do. He's a big kick. He does a lot of kicks. Yeah, and he's amazing. And I've worked with him, and he's amazing. But it's like you said, man, they're throwing such a barrage of them that even if 50% hit, that's 50%. And I mean, I'm not saying they're they're not like full-on kicking your head off, but, you know, it's enough. All you got to do is just get the inside of your brain and start rattling. And I mean, and I'm not bitching about it. I love that stuff. Like, and, and part of my, my fault was that when I would have a, like, I was old school in the fact that if I was having a big match with you and we had a build up, I like got into the zone where this was real. If me, if you and I are going back and forth for a year, like our blowout needs to be insane because if I'm fighting with you for a year, after a year, we should be trying to freaking kill each other. In theory. So, like, that's when matches that I would have always had a point and a purpose, but they were brutal, man. I mean, like, go back and watch Starcade 83, Roddy Piper, Greg Hammer, or uh, Valentine in that dog collar match. They are seriously swinging the dog collar and pegging each other. It's one of the most brutal things I've ever seen. But the lead up was amazing. So it was like, that's kind of was always my philosophy that I never did things just for the sake of doing them. But damn it, when I did them, you know, when we, we would go into those matches, they were, man, they were brutal. I mean, there's, if you go onto my, my Facebook or anything, there's literally a picture where I'm drenched in blood. That's my blood. And that's someone literally like splitting my head open with a ladder. And it wasn't like, a, it was just us getting into it and getting a little too, little too into it. And ladders being kind of flimsy objects anyway. So it's not always easy to predict what they'll do and just catching the wrong end of it, man. And, that was five minutes into the match. But, yeah, looking back, hindsight, probably was a little too reckless. <laughs> well, you know you know what I still see them doing? And and this kind of pissed me off the other day. ESPN, uh, ESPN tweeted something about uh, The Undertaker. It was Undertaker's birthday. And he goes, Do you rem- happy birthday, Undertaker. Do you remember the, the, that one time he threw, he threw mankind into this table off the, off the, off the steel cage? And I was like, happy birthday. I'm like, dude, mankind, Mick Foley fucking did, he did the deed. He fucking jumped or whatever, fell 30 feet through a fucking wooden table. They're still letting people jump or fall 30 feet through a wooden table, but not put their hand up during a, during a. Dude, that was uh, from 1998. uh, That clip's from 1998. They don't let people do that anymore. Have you seen somebody? I just saw them do it somewhere. I just saw them do it on AEW or some, whatever. Whatever the new one is. Shane, Shane McMahon. Dude, when they fall now, they're falling through a table that is created by the stunt team at Warner Brothers that is essentially a bed that collapses in the perfect when when Shane McMahon falls off the so. cane now when, when, when Shane McMahon or Kevin Owens or whoever is doing a table dive now have you seen these tables I they, hope first so. of all they, when they take the, the monitors table, off them whatever the they're mat, triple they're the size something. 
they're triple the size. Some... They're covered in foam, and they literally they 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 start they have shock absorbers in them, and they fall, and then they fall onto an area you can't see. That's probably a freaking mattress. It's the safest thing, and I mean, granted, there's still, I mean, look, a million things can go wrong, but that fall you're seeing that Mick Foley takes that if he misses that, first of all, he knocked all his teeth out anyway. If he missed that by four more inches, he's dead. That I'm like, just saying. You know what impressed me more than any of that? Like, everyone keeps going to that one. No, the, the choke one slam. That is the one where he goes through the cage onto the ring. Because that ring at that time, yeah. that was the 97 ring. That thing was stiff. That's where he knocked That's his like teeth out. Was that cage one. onto a deck. Wow, really? So, so that one was – so that wasn't supposed to happen. So basically the other one where he throws him off, he's like, all right, throw me off. And, like, Mick can kind of, like, time his bump through the table, whatever. He choke slams him on the top of the cage. He doesn't know that that, that panel's gonna break. So yeah. he takes a back bump from the top of the cage, right? With the cage giving, lands right on his back and hits a chair that knocks all of his, like half of his teeth out, right? And then he, he gives, him. knocks him unconscious, gives him a concussion. That is the, the most deadly thing I've ever seen in my life. How that yeah. guy got up from that, that's like when I watched that, that's the most amazing. Yeah, all I'm saying is Undertaker didn't throw him through nothing. The guy fucking went for it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what are we talking about? Why are we giving Undertaker props? The guy could have. The, the, the guy could have went like this. And he would have fell, and it still would have been Undertaker's the god here. Dude, no. they're just saying it because it's Undertaker's birthday, and they want an excuse to show the clip. They don't genuinely get, give credit to Undertaker. Dude, that was the day Mick Foley became a legend. The Nobody they could have spun the tweet to give Mick Foley a little bit of credit. But it wasn't Let's Undertaker's God. birthday. There knows five wrestlers, and he don't appreciate it when one of them doesn't get the credit that where the credit is due. Yeah, dude, can't even get his credit on his own damn birthday, bro. Come on. Nobody actually thinks dude, the Undertaker <laughs> did not become a star that day. That was the day Mick Foley became a legend. The Undertaker that again it just happened to be the dude in the room with him. That's true. I know I wouldn't jump off that damn gauge. So All right. I'll let, tell you Yeah. Let's, let's move. get to the yeah, stories where but, Dan Walsh the Danimal was power bombing Derek Kaczynski through tables on the island. Let's that eventually get yeah. to that point. Cause that it's is a so true weird. story, ladies and gentlemen. That, that's, that's one thing. Okay. When you talk about it not being brought up, I'm surprised it wasn't brought up when, it, yeah, one night we took apart the little island hut house and I just started like throwing Derek through, like Derek was getting thrown through like the, the pieces of wood. Everyone's hitting each other with things. We're jumping off the bridges onto each other. And then like it just, it got like no, like they showed some clips, but then they just ignored it. That thing went on for hours. I think even the girls were getting power bombed through shit. Like I can't believe they never brought that up. Before, I don't think the girls uh, were getting power bombed through shit, but anyway. So real quick before we get to the challenge, right? So you you do the island and cutthroat, but before that you do this road rules viewers revenge, as you said. Trying out for it was a little bit of a prank, a little bit of a gag. You get on the show, you do the show. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, timeline-wise, you go and do this show, and then you're still doing the, the wrestling, you're still doing the comedy, you're still involved in the military at this point, right? Um, so when you find out, hey, we want to keep using you for this challenge thing, um, how much does this kind of invade your other projects and your, uh, you know, cause, cause to me, obviously this took place a little bit before social media, a little bit before the kind of career reality star, you know, nowadays these folks, a lot of people have side jobs and this and that, but 
it's a 365 day a year gig being a challenger today. You know, you kind of have to have the Instagram and this and that or whatever. Back when you did it though, I'm wondering how big of a part of your life was it? Was the road rules to start and then the two seasons of the challenge? Was it just something you did for a few months a year or was it something that kind of took over your focus while you were doing it? Uh, I think it was, it was something that was just, it was an, a great, a great experience. Um, when I was still involved in the military, that was like probably the biggest problem because the, the wrestling loved it. The, co- the, you know, the comedy side loved it because clubs could put your, your name and that on it. But, um, you know, they, they as seen it in TV or whatever, but let me ask you a com- quick comedy question, right? Cause, cause I've, I've navigated through the stand up world myself a little bit. And one day I just decided I don't have it in me to kind of do this, all this like weird bureaucratic BS of having to bring 30 people to do five minutes and stuff like that, right? My question, you just managed, you just said the comedy clubs liked it and stuff like that. Did it help you skip the line a little bit? Did it help your, your clout with the club promoters and this and that? Did it buy you a little bit more respect? The fact that you were on TV, even though you weren't on TV in a comedic capacity, did it help your career at all in that regard? I would say it would a little bit. Like by that point, like I'd started in like a couple years before I even got on MTV. So I'd already in my own little area, I had made enough of an imprint where I was performing. But definitely when when the MTV name got attached to me, then I was getting more. You know, so maybe like instead of doing one spot here and there, you know, paid gig, I was getting definitely more like there was, you know, I think there was a club like especially uh, in this college town in Missouri in, in Columbia that this guy was great. But he knew that if you threw MTV behind something, it would get these college kids there. So instead of doing maybe once a year, I was doing, you know, once every, you know, four or five months, you know, twice a year, stuff like that. So, yeah, it it did help. One hundred percent. It did help. But. And that's in Missouri, that's in Missouri though. Like when you moved to, to LA and started doing comedy in LA. Yeah. What was the difference there? It, it didn't, no, that didn't do anything for me either. <laughs> that's, they a, don't that's like, what kills me. Yeah. Like in that, they don't care. Like it, none of that, <laughs> everyone out here, especially now has something going on. So it's like, if it doesn't bring, you like, here's the thing. I, it, most of the time, you gotta bring somebody in the beginning until you prove something. Cause if you ain't selling tickets, you need to make sure those seats are filled. Now, I always ended up in situations where I wasn't expected to bring a lot. And then definitely once I would get on these shows and I proved that I could do well, I wasn't really held to that. But like in the beginning, like anyone else, man, until I got up there and could give them a few sets where I, you know, I killed it and showed that I, could help the show oh, i was it, i was held to the exact same thing as anyone else and the mtv thing it didn't matter here's the thing nobody knows me from the show like even if you like you know how many times i've bumped into people out here who are avid watchers of the show and they have no idea who i am at all so even if like a club promoter or something knows the show that doesn't mean they know me so like out here as far as like getting out of missouri it really hasn't helped at all to be, to be 100% honest with you. Plus, I'm 10 years removed. So even by the time I got out here, like, it, it had already been so long that it, I mean, I think even if it was an effective measure, like it, I mean, dude, I, I did a show with fucking Theo Vaughn at the comedy, at the comedy store. And even when I went to talk to him, like we did the show and I went to talk to him, I'm like, Hey, what's up, man? Like, my name's Dan. I'm, cause obviously he didn't know who I was. And, I kind of like started talking about it and like he didn't 
And I mean, he may have had other stuff on his mind, so I don't want to say, but even he kind of was like, yeah, okay. And then just kind of like, didn't seem to be too interested in talking to me. Well, he doesn't, he's notorious for not really. So it's so funny, especially people like him who he did the challenge for a long time to the point where, and, and, you know, he did road rules where, you know, he, you know, if you were watching during that period, you certainly remember him. Right. But then he goes on and he has a really illustrious stand-up career that he's at, you know, the, you know, in the midst of his peak right now where this guy is just, you know, obviously in the comedy world is as relevant as anyone could be. He's headlining theaters. He's got his own podcast. He's part of that kind of Joe Rogan death squad crew. I'm sure he's headlining on the, on the, uh, you know, on the strip all the time and this and that. And to him, he doesn't really, you know, yeah, he doesn't lie and say he wasn't on the challenge, but he's not leaning into it. He's not talking about it too often. And so, you know, he's, Clearly put it in his rear view. He probably wasn't watching when you were on and he doesn't really linger on it. That's how he handles it. You know, you have other people like the Miz who go on to do great things in wrestling who still, I say the great parallels like the Miz and the challenge and MTV is like how the rock treats wrestling. The rock left wrestling is the biggest movie star in the world, but every now and then we'll go back and give back to wrestling and do a match at WrestleMania, referee a match here, do whatever. And he doesn't run from it. The Miz goes and becomes a huge wrestling star, but he still hosts the after shows. He still hosts the reunions. He still hosts his champs versus stars. And he's very much still gives back to the challenge world. Cause that's what got him there. Theo's the opposite. He doesn't feel like the challenge got him there. Cause he did stand up comedy. He did last comic standing. And as much as maybe it would have helped if he was in a place like Missouri, I don't think being on the challenge or being on road rules helped him get spots at all when he was doing his, his standup. I think he thinks he earned every bit of it himself with his comedy and his humor. So I think he kind of looks at it with a bit of a, uh, a negative eye, to be honest with you. So when you brought that up, he probably A, didn't understand that you were really on the show, whatever. And B, I don't know that he cared, to be honest with you. I, no, think, I don't right. think he sees that connection. He came up 100% like organic through the system. He earned everything that he could. And like I said, I felt like I got more of a, <laughs> I felt like I was having a better conversation with him as just me. And then, yeah, kind of when I brought him. Yeah, you ruined it with that. <laughs> he was kind of like, all right, motherfucker. Like, I think he might have just been like, okay, what are you trying to get now? What are you, you know, and I really, it was just something I didn't know what else to talk to him about. I thought it was something cool. And he, and he did say something about like, do I still go to the parties? He's like, do you still go to like the Buman Murray parties? And I was like, dude, I don't think anyone in that company even knows who I, 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 I think Justin Booth forgot who I was. So no, I don't go to these parties. And we kind of like laughed a little bit about it. But then after that, it was just this kind of, which 100%, everything you just said, I kind of figured and I agree. And if I was him, you know, he did, he earned that completely outside of it. Um, but it was funny that that was the one, I think, other than just being comedians, it was the one thing that I thought I could bring up to kind of be like, hey, you know, something to talk about. And he was just like, yeah, I'm not too, uh, <laughs> just like, not really, not really interested in talking about that, dude. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I think, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. I still think that, you know, what he had done and his notoriety on the challenge is still kind of probably helped get him to the next step. In some ways, nope, even if it's a, just no, notoriety, I'm telling you, beginning. in the very, very, the very beginning, beginning, maybe helped him get some hosting spots or something. Well, well, no, it was last comic standing, I think is what. Yeah, but that didn't even Shut again. Up. But so so here's here's what I'll say about Theo Vaughn, because like I followed his career fairly sure. closely. Right. So he did last comic 
as Theo Vaughn. I remember watching him and saying, Oh, that's Theo from, from the challenge, whatever. He didn't right. do, he didn't do that well. That wasn't his launching pad. He then uh, went back out there doing six spots a night, five days a week, coming up right. the old fashioned way. He might as well have never been on reality TV. Right. Then right. the last few years going out there, churn out comedy, churn out content. And again, and I don't mean that this the wrong way. I'm not saying he's mooching or whatever, but becoming a part of the sort of Joe Rogan sphere of comedians no no one who's not funny has has become uh you know a standout from this but if you're funny like Theo is and you got put on yeah. Joe Rogan's podcast platform a bunch in the last 10 years you're now headlining theaters Tom Segura is now headlining theaters Burt Kreischer is now headlining theaters Joey Diaz is now headlining theaters these guys are doing it themselves as well and it's based on their comedy but it's also based on this new age we live in where you don't have to you, you can have a podcast where if you have a key audience that you're informing about your gigs through the podcast then you're an entity based on a you're funny your material is good and you're a familiar name and face from the podcast so he was one of those people and he also goes the extra mile where he does characters he's really funny he really you know he his specials are good etc and he he's did all that on his own shit. yeah the, the the challenge and mtv honestly has nothing to do with his success as a comedian if you want to try to add what the special sauce of it was it's again being out there in the clubs, earning the respect of the comics who probably don't even know he was on the challenge because he probably, if he feels like he led with that, people would probably say, oh, you can't be that funny. Maybe maybe he got here because of this. No, it's the opposite. People find out he was on the challenge like five years into knowing him and they're like, why did you tell us this? You know? Yeah. So, cause you know, Tom Segura, another comedian I just named, his wife, Christina Pazinski, I think is her last name, whatever. She was on Road Rules too. She was on the challenge and she... She message, she message, mentions it a little bit more than Theo does, but that's another person who segued into comedy, real world, road rules, didn't get her there. Now she has a booming comedy career. She's got a podcast with her husband, Tom Segura. And again, it's not MTV that got her there. So these are things no, you find not, out after so the I'm, fact. Yeah. So I'm not saying that, obviously I'm not saying that at all. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying, uh, you know, he's an art, he's an artist, obviously. Beyond, no, but you're thinking, did it help, like, get his foot in the door? At, at all, at all, nothing, not at all. No, Again, it might have gotten, like, it might have gotten him the, like, it might have gotten him the call for, or gotten him passed around of casting on Last Comic Standing. But these comedy clubs in LA, dude, it is like, I'll give you an example. How, how, I'll give you a little story, right? Get, so, so we were at the improv doing our shit, right, Derek, right? And I said to the guy, I said, Oh, can you move the screen? I want the improv logo to be on the screen. He goes, I mean, to be on the stage. He goes, oh, I'm going to have to ask my boss. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, we're very protective about the logo. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, we don't want some open micer coming in here hosting something. He gets a <laughs> bunch of pictures of him in front of the Hollywood Improv logo, and then he can go around telling people that, oh, I headlined at the Hollywood Improv. And I go, mm -hmm. well, I hate to tell you, brother, but we're about to sell – You know, we sold 150 tickets. We're doing our show here. Uh, I hate to tell you, brother, we are headlining the motherfucking Hollywood Improv, and I do want that sign in the background when I'm up there. So you need to call your boss, and you need to have the screen pulled up, whatever. I wasn't that mean about it because to be honest with right. you, he, he wasn't that big of a jerk about it. But I took offense to it because they're trying to say that, oh, we get to decide who gets to use it for their career that they headline, that they performed here because just being in front of the sign doesn't mean you actually performed here. That doesn't mean we greenlit you. We didn't let you into the club. You're not a paid regular here at the improv because in, in LA, in Tinseltown with the stand up world, 
that being a paid regular and someone who gets to do spots at these clubs is almost harder than it is not even almost it's harder than getting cast on a TV show it's harder than getting a role in a, in a commercial it's harder than getting stuff that you would think is way more important or lucrative or whatever these comedy clubs are like a cult you know and the people who yeah. book these things like Mitzi Short the comedy store and this and that they are so holier than thou about who they pass at these clubs that I'm telling you right now hearing that someone's a reality star or an actor trying to start doing comedy when he's 40 years old, they hate that. They don't want that. So I'm telling you, these people probably like buried that shit, let alone led with it. I wouldn't be surprised if Theo Vaughn never even mentioned that to these comedy clubs that he was on MTV. No, he probably, I mean, I did, I'll be honest, I did at least 30 Fridays at, at the, the comedy store in, in, on Sunset. At least. And not one time was I asked about it not one time did i put it up there um like i said i did three of those friday nights with theo um it, it, nothing was ever mentioned and it, it is it's it's almost looked at it, it's kind of the same thing now like youtube personalities make a ton of money and they do theaters and they do all that stuff whenever i've seen youtube comics come in to do a comedy show or try to get onto a counter it's almost like you said, it's, it's held against them instead of for them because it's in some way they think because you didn't come in regardless of how much money you generate because you didn't come up through their system or their way, then it, it then, then you're not, then you don't mean anything to them. And it's a lot of the same way with reality TV or models or something like that. Like they just, they're looking for every reason to brand you as someone that's not uh, a real comic or not a real on the road, in front of a live crowd, like they are. They're trying to discredit you with other things that you may have been known in instead of using it as a marketing ploy. Yeah, especially, yeah, I would agree 100% with Scott on that. It is, it's yeah, definitely I'm just Look, not to make this about me, right? But so I started trying to do comedy here in New York City, right? And I started doing, you know, the bringer shows, you know? And they give you two options. They're like, yo, you can either bring eight friends or, or have eight people come and buy tickets, or you can stand out on 42nd Street hawking tickets. And I'm like, you can, you, I'm not even tell you what you can do if you think I'm going to do that, right? And, and not try, not to be condescending, but that's just not what I'm going to do, right? You ever been walking through Times Square and somebody goes, hey, hey, you like stand-up comedy? And you want to kick them in the mouth, right? That's what they want you to do. That's what those people are. Those are comics who are trying to just get out there for five minutes. I would go the other way and I would bother my friends on Facebook and I get them to come to these shows and I would do these contests where you get 30 people to come you do, and it's all basically based on audience reactions. So the more people you get to come, you might win the contest. I won the contest, quote unquote, New York's funniest young comedian, whatever. What did I win the right to do? Perform there again for free. I'm not getting paid. I just don't have to bring people, right? That's what you win the right to give your work to them for free. And again, halfway through it, they're like, Hey, I noticed you stopped bringing people. I'm like, yeah, I won the right to not have to bring people. They still were annoyed. I wasn't bringing people. I decided quickly. I'm like, look, I am not going to be able to do this. If I'm not working my way up this ladder, I just don't have it in me. I'm, I'm going to rather, I'm going to go back working TV, whatever. I'm going to find another way to get to the, onto the stage for two hours. It's not going to be bringing groups of people until you decide you want to give me more than eight minutes. Right? So now in a roundabout way, doing what we're doing with challenge mania live, we're doing Challenge Mania Live at the same comedy clubs, Hollywood Improv, uh, Chicago Improv, DC Improv, Caroline's here in New York City, Punchline, you know, in Philly, all these big comedy clubs, and we're selling them out, and we're doing our live talk show, and half of the thing is jokes and this and that and the other thing, and 
it's one of those things where if I called up the Philadelphia punchline or the, or Carolinas, or whatever, and I said I wanted to do stand up there, even if I was telling them, Hey, no, I'm going to sell this thing out, whatever, they'd be hesitant to let a stand up come and kind of just do that there. But because it's a podcast, because it's reality TV, because it's not on their corner, they're fine with it. So in a roundabout way, I found my way onto the marquee at Carolinas. I found my way onto the marquee at the Hollywood Improv by doing it a different way. Because they are so, as you mentioned, Dan, they're, they, they're so particular about making sure you do it through their way and their system because the whole stand-up comedy world is based on the fact that they need people to work for free for such a large percentage of their career. Then they need people to just work for the ability to drop in. They need people to work for the clout. They need to work for that picture of them in front of that logo because that's the only way they're profitable to put on as many shows as they can, pay some of the comics, got to have some of them not can pay. That's how they do it. And if everyone just says, hey, why would I do that for free? Are you kidding me? They're coming to see me. So if enough people realize, then the jig is up and none of these people can do this. So that's why they don't let people come from other avenues and kind of just step in and, and cut them out. The only way they do it is if you say, oh, we're doing a podcast. Oh, we're doing a meet and greet. Oh, we're doing a live show because we're not threatening. We're not threatening to change the state of stand-up comedy on Melrose. You know what I mean? We're doing our silly little reality show. But to me, it's all the same. I'm still on stage at the Hollywood Improv. Trying to get on stage at the Hollywood Improv as a stand-up comic, that's an eight-year quest, as I'm sure you know. So... Honestly, whatever. That's my little two cents, but that's why I, I ended up tapping out. I didn't have the balls that you have, Dan, to, to stick with it. But so obviously, dude, I'm not I'm, – I'm, listen, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I, obviously I'm not saying that you know everything he's done – everything to do with his stay on MTV. I'm saying there may have been a, a smidget in there where he was making a transition from doing the challenges to – you know, you know, doing his first comedy club, taking a clip, a couple of the fucking funny ass clips from the show and putting it in his reel where someone's like, hey, I got this guy. He's funny. He's his reel. He's saying some he's look at this bit he's doing at the reunion with the fucking, you know, with the with the neck brace on. It's funny. My guy's funny. Look, he was on this show. He's funny. Give him a shot. Bam. He gets in there. He gets his foot in the door. And then he fucking shows that he's beyond just funny. He's like this master. Uh, I'm just telling you, I don't think many funny. comedy clubs are looking at a reality TV reel. I, 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 that's fine. I'm just saying he did some funny shit uh, in his. MTV I would say outside of outside oh, of LA, major industry area, outside of your major areas, you're absolutely. It, it might get you on stage because, like you said, these these clubs in these certain towns, they want to draw people in, if, even if they don't have a big headliner. So they're going to use whatever they can. Um, but then, yeah, once you get out to here and, and, and even New York and the bigger cities, they are the 100 percent. They're going to be really prejudiced to how they're going to let people in. And and you're right. They need to control the fee. They need to control business so that they can be more lucrative. They can make the most amount of profit. And it, it's kind of like it's like you said, a cult or it's a boys club but, or a girls club or just and, it's a fraternal. And it sounds like it's similar to wrestling because when Miz started too, it was I'm sure he was that reality TV guy that they all wanted to fucking bury. And then he yeah, went and paid his dues and showed. I would say the opposite on that one. Oh, because his reality experience got him on Tough Enough, which put him right in front of the the, the people. And wrestling's one of those things where Vince McMahon will make money off of you. Any way he can. He doesn't give a shit where you come from. His whole, the, the old school wrestler's loyalty is not with Vince Jr. He signed Gronk. He signed, he'll sign anyone who will make him money. So when the Miz yeah. got in front of him, he said, this guy's got a personality. 
He's got a look. He's got this much, or you know, he has this, you know, uh, industry, or he has this this fan base. I can use all of that. And then he got pushed to the front lines of the best training and put in the best spot. So I would say, I would say the Miz's situation and Theo Vaughn's situation, I would say, are completely different. Yeah, the wrestlers spited Miz at first, but but the the brass yeah, over there saw the dollar signs. That's what I'm saying. But you when you when you become that big and you've and, and when you become that big where you're a superstar like Theo Vaughn is in the the comedy world and where Mike the Miz is a superstar in the wrestling world, you have to go in there, pay your dues, do the dirty work, right? Fucking do everything that no one else is doing, and and, and do an extra. And be super funny or super entertaining with, with, with the Miz. Like, but at some point, they, I'm just saying, Bolton probably had used that to sort of take it to whether it's to have a conversation with the next person in line, you know, that's going to let them into this next little door. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I, right. I think there's, there's no, got to be a tiny, there's got to be a tiny stepping stone in there where it's, they've both used it as a small stepping stone to even just get to that next conversation. Well, like I said, well, there was a clip from this or a clip from that, or like, Hey, my buddy over here, he's done these shows. Will you talk to him for a second? He's funny. Or he's been wrestling for fucking five years, but he's been on this show too, which he's got a big fan base. So will you talk to him? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying, guys. The rest of history, obviously. You've worked so hard for all the things you have. The salary, the status, the success. And with that image, there's a drink. One to unwind, one to loosen up, one to take the edge off. But how do you know when a drink is more than just a drink? We get it. We can help. Karen's Grandview program has been helping accomplished people just like you regain their lives. Talk to us. Visit karen.org slash grandview. Big Mac, Chicken McNuggets, no, Big Mac and Quarter Pounder with cheese, or filet fish You'd be doing the same thing if you were at McDonald's, because you can choose not just one, but two of your favorites for just six bucks. Tasty Big Mac, crispy 10-piece Chicken McNuggets, juicy Quarter Pounder with cheese, or savory filet fish Enjoy two of your all-time favorites for just six bucks, if you can decide on the two. Prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal, single item at regular price. All right, let's talk challenge. So, Derek, I'll let you handle this part because you guys intersected a little bit. Um, why don't you lead the, the way on questions about uh, the two seasons of the challenge that Dan was on, and I'll pull up the uh, questions we got from the patrons to get to after that. So go ahead, well, D. Well, I, to be honest with you, I, you know, I kind of wanted to wanted to go to the police station, man. I kind of wanted to – I kind of wanted to start this off. We usually we go chronological order. We can go chronological order, but I want to go fireworks. We've gone an hour here. We've been speaking gibberish to our to our to our fan base. I, yeah, I know. And you know, GW wrestling, whatever the fuck you guys were talking about there. I want to go to the police station after me, Johnny, Kenny, and Evelyn won the island. And afterwards, um, you know, I, I we get on the plane. I buy my first bottle of Dom Perignon at the airport, uh, because we had just won out of celebra- celebration. We're on the plane. I'm passing this fucking Dom Perignon around because I figure that it, it, it all this bubbly, I, li- I, I can't chug it. I can't drink it. All you can do bubbly. is sip it. 
Sorry. So if, 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 not to make a joke, but if coronavirus was around, the fucking whole plane would have coronavirus because we were just passing that, that bottle around like it was, like it was, uh, I don't know, like it was, I don't, I don't even know, like it was just a, a beer that we were sharing. And it was this like $300 bottle that I just bought. Can you um, say that brand again? What's it called? Dom Pear. I, <laughs> I, I need you to say it. It's a bottle of Dom, yo. I, I, I know. I know, but time. I need I need it's you to a say it. I need I need you to say it as if you're being paid. We're doing a live read now. This podcast is sponsored by that brand of of bubbly. I want you to say what you were drinking. What's it called? Dom Perignon. Dom Perignon. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> it's a bottle of fucking Dom, yo. Got it at the airport. It's like, you know what it is? You should, you, should, you know how everyone just calls Giannis, you know how everyone just calls Giannis, Giannis because they're scared of the Antetokounmpo or whatever? Uh, you should just stick to Dom. Yeah. How do you say it? Dom P. A lot of people say Dom P. Uh, Dom Perignon, I think maybe might be like a, uh-huh. maybe Dom Perignon. But yeah, I think, I think you got, uh, you've got most of it. I just, the silent G, I think, uh-huh. is in there that, that, uh, Dom, hey. well, you, you say Dom Perignon, right? Is that what you say, Dom Perignon? Yeah, this motherfucker said Dom Perignon, motherfucker. <laughs> and you said Dom Perignon. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> Bring it to the patrons, Scott. You let us know, guys. You, you listen to us, tw- tweet us. At, Perignon or Perignon? You let us know at Derek MTV, at Shot of Jaeger, at, is it at Dan Walsh 83, right? What kind of bubbly uh, are you Twitter? Yeah, what are you on Twitter, Dan? Twitter is Dan Walsh eighty three. At yeah. Dan Walsh eighty three. You let us know how to say you may feel free to take a video if you're you're, you're quarantined right now, nobody's around, not embarrassed, just give us let us know how to pronounce Dom Perignon. Uh and, and if it's if it's Dom Perignon or if it's Dom Perignon. <laughs> Dom yeah. Perignon like full of piss and vinegar he was saying it. He had no hesitation love it right wrong or different he was gonna say it with as much enthusiasm as i couldn't possible. believe it and i just removed all of that i just took a big fat eraser to all of that and now he's now he's only gonna say dom or dom p going forward i think unfortunately ah, it's, it's dom perion that's what we got anyway so we're all right dan's been drunk on the island for all 60 days on survivor <laughs> yeah, that's about right. No, I thought it was, yeah, shit, you're right. You're right. Five weeks. Five weeks, whatever. Maybe it was six weeks, right? So let's it, say six it weeks. It felt like 10 years. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Dan's been drunk every day and we've been keeping him around because he is the, 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 he, he, he's that guy that we needed to keep around. I was and, a disaster that no matter how bad anyone else was getting, you could look at me and feel good about yourself. That was pretty much. What I was there for. From the second you washed up on shore that first episode, I knew and we all knew that we needed to keep you there till the end, no matter what you happened. Mean it wasn't when I I screamed at my own penis for 45 minutes for being shriveled. It could have been. No, I think that, that came later. But where, oh, we, okay. where we figured we still needed to keep you. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you. You didn't have a TV. I was entertaining. Uh, and you also got to keep in mind, it wasn't just drinking. What were we at? Like 800 calories a day? Yeah, we ate, we had a little bit of rice here and there. Yeah, so we had like no food. Basically, at one point, they were going to take me the alcohol away from me. But that fucking medical guy was like, you can't. He'll die. 
Like he has, he's had no food and he's drink every like ass amounts every single day. He's gonna die. So that's when remember when they started like trying to give me little bits. Like they were trying to like I don't know dose me because it was like I mean everyone was pretty sure like my liver would fall out of my ass whenever I got home, but like they needed to keep me alive for the rest of the taping. I well, remember that. Well, it was it's funny because we were like getting to the end and it was like all right, it's almost like finals time like. Hey, Dan, uh, you know, we had this sit down with you and we we're like, you know, we might need you. Like, we might need you at the end of this thing, you know, like we, you might need to, you know, do this final with us or whatever, you know, who knows? So maybe it's time to start, you know, stop drinking, you know, maybe it's time. And then later on, we all figured that, no, he can't stop drinking. If he stops oh, drinking, point, he'll yeah, probably be worse off if he stopped. Yeah, it would have killed me. By that point, I'd already made, you gotta, Derek, I couldn't even walk across the little fucking makeshift bridge to get to one of the challenges. That's how messed up my equilibrium was. I was so screwed up about halfway through that thing. If you'd have stopped me from drinking completely, I would have been dead. No exaggeration, dead from and, withdrawal. Easily. Yeah. And, and I think this is probably the beginning where they took hard alcohol away from us. So I think this is the and first time. Yeah, I think a lot of people say CT is the reason why they took hard alcohol away, but I think maybe they took the brown away at some point. They took the brown away because of me, because I drank. Uh, well, that's what they told me, anyways. Because they had what was that shit? The the Bacardi, mm. the red, the the brown Bacardi, whatever. The it wasn't one fifty one. It was the other one, but that's what. And then the Jack Daniels, because that's when I would act super insane. Is if I drink that. That was when I like flipped out on David and shit. The rest of the time I was just an idiot. Yeah, he 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 flipped out on someone's sworn enemy, and then we were like, man, we gotta keep him again. We need to keep him till the end. It was like everything you did, we were like, we gotta keep him till the end. Um, so, but yeah, now you're just bring you're just bringing back you know memories. Like my first question was is like, what are your best memories of the island? You know, I guess before we get to the end, since we've sort of peppered in. All these scenarios, knowing that in the end it ends up in a either I think uh, a mental institution or or just a police station. I I don't know the end. I'm, oh, I guess God. we're kind of keeping it till oh. the end. But um, yeah. yeah, I was put on it. Oh yeah, it, it, you know what's crazy? I'm gonna be honest with you, Derek. I don't remember. I remember a blur of a lot of things, but I don't remember long periods of anything mm-hmm. but like i don't like i remember little instances like conversations that we had or things that we did but i don't remember it was it was just all blurry because literally i was inebriated the entire time and even if i and if when i wasn't i was trying i mean for the couple hours i was trying to sober up i was just not i was not a person so i remember some really funny things. Like I do, don't get me wrong. I remember the first, well, I don't know if I could, the first night waking up and all you got, like basically we just, we swam to the shore and I remember I was like, I'm not drinking on this challenge. I, I was sober up until we got there. I was like, I'm not drinking on this challenge. I'm not doing anything. Dude, right when I hit the, the beach and I, and Kahuta had a beer in his hand, I said, there's beer. That's all it took. That was the only coercing that I needed. And next thing I know, I'm just drinking and drinking. I pass out. I wake up the first night. You guys drew, drew all over me. And, and I didn't even know where my bed was. 
And that's one of the uh, things that I remember. Uh, um, I mean, there was a couple instances with Robin that I remember that she would later deny, but I'm pretty sure they happened. I'm, I'm pretty, I was messed up, but I'm pretty sure for a long time there, a lot of people were saying we think that that's Dan Walsh's baby. Uh, you were, you know what's crazy? When I got on the cutthroat, they asked that. That was the first question. They were like, so Robin had a baby. I said, yeah, that's great. Congratulations. Nigga. So it's, it's your, and I'm like, dude, this was like, what, like two years after it had happened or something like that. I was like, are you shitting me? You, you think it's mine? And I was like, no, but I, cause I was confused on why they were asking me about Robin when Robin wasn't even on the challenge, but yeah, MTV or I'll say Beanman Murray or somebody thought. Uh, that was my baby too, but not according to her. According to her, man, my uh, my equipment wasn't working, but I assure you it was. <laughs> in fact, uh, this pissed me off. At one night, dude, while we were doing it, we were doing it up in that treehouse, and the other girls were sitting there sleeping. It was right next to them, and we weren't hiding under curtain. We were like, dude, like it was a movie. We had, like, had our legs. We were doing everything. And everyone was, oh yeah, we don't know. And it's like, fuck you. I did it in front. Someone had to see something. But yeah, I'm, I mean, you guys were doing it in like a bug net, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so it was a see-through bug net. So how couldn't they see? That's what that was. You know what, man? I'm not. Listen, I, I. That's what was frustrating. It's like if you want to deny that we did it, that's fine. That for the, you would save your own. But don't throw me under the bus. Especially when you, we had people that seen it. Like, I don't know. That was the whole frustrating thing. You know, now I look back, I probably should have been much more of a gentleman about it, but like, that's why in my stupid, drunken, crazy island state, I flipped out about that. And then if you go back and watch that clip, I turned into an amazing lawyer because I actually counteract or I, I counter argue it and get her to admit it somewhat. So for a little bit there, I showed shades of a good litigator. Yo, so is it safe to say that you slept with Robin or had sex with Robin while in a bug net? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and I mean, I, that's not the craziest place I've had sex, but, and I, I somehow doubt that it's the craziest place she's had it, but yeah, we did bug net. Yeah. They, it's so Scott, they would argue, they would argue because Robin was denying it, you know, and he was mad that she would deny it. So they were like this, like, married couple you know where they like like would argue but then they would get together secretly and then come back and like she would like deny it and stuff like that and he that's would not be how mad. Mar- just so you know that's not how married couple married couples aren't like denying being with <laughs> oh, each no, other and, i don't know but, there was something like right, old about that functional married like, couple scott yeah, okay was, we're glad that your marriage is so good yeah functional marriage <laughs> we were living on an island scott Dude, we're in a diet of 95% booze and anger and horniness. I bet you everyone was talking like Macho Man Randy Savage on the island. You were coming out of that bug net tent. You're like, guys, I saw you had wandering eyes. Who's in there with Robin? I know. Elizabeth? Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. But see, switch it because she was like Randy Savage because she wound up punching me in the face one time. And I didn't touch her. I didn't put any hands on her. Uh, I was Dan, the you got wandering eyes, Dan. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Mark Long's not here, but I got the next best thing. Oh, yeah, his name's Dan, but his equipment doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, I put the keys in the ignition, but it won't go. I wonder if exactly it's because of the shopping cart to the nuts he took in St. Louis. Oh, yeah. You know what? If Scott says it like that, it's not so bad. If she said it, if she'd have said it just like that, I wouldn't have gotten mad. Yeah. I would just somehow been okay with it. Yeah, no. Macho Man Randy Savage has a way of making you okay with getting shit on. I feel like if it was Dusty Rhodes and she was like, "Listen, baby, I was in there with Dan Walsh, baby, but the, the equipment was this, it wasn't on fire. Ooh, I thought he would be like Mark Long, but he was more like Mark Short, baby. Mmm, <laughs> Dusty. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, we was in there with the bugs. Speaking of Dusty, with a little Dusty down below. If you catch my drift, see, I, if you wheel, I, I don't think you would have liked that as much if that's how she. Uh, delivered the the uh the battle i don't know man i'm big i'm a big dream fan i probably would have i think if any wrestler would have delivered that news i'd have been much happier than raspy voice drunken robin that was the only i think that was i think it was the voice here's a here's a good question for you dan who do you think i mean obviously the answer is either the miz or the danimal which i don't know if you saw this but we did not do this on purpose you actually took on the miz in the first round of our bracket the challenge madness bracket that we did this week unfortunately you did lose your poll but completely random that two of the professional wrestlers in the history of the challenge get to go head to head in a king of the ring style bracket the miz ends up coming out on top but i'm pretty sure you'd be okay with doing the job if he ever did come through st louis um who who other than mike do you think would have been a good wrestler uh in the few seasons that you did people that you came across well obviously uh kenny santucci definitely Mm. because the personality and he had the amateur wrestling background and he had a ring yeah, and he had a ring. Yeah, he had Dory Funk's ring. So, yeah, he, I mean, I think he would have been great. I think he had the personality, the look. He had everything. That guy would have been a million dollars, and he was smart. He understood. You know, it, I think any of these guys that win these challenges, they have a way of looking at a situation that would make them amazing in wrestling because they would understand the dynamic. I always say Johnny Bananas knows more about pro wrestling than he thinks he knows because he understands the need for a bad guy in order to make an entertaining show. You have to have good and evil and he will sacrifice anything to be that bad guy. Even if he particular, it doesn't fit a, a need just to do it. And I think Kenny's the same way. They understand having to create a dynamic and they were always smarter than the situation they were in. And they know they always knew when to not get too pissed off. They, they knew how to work everything, man, and they didn't have any vices that were getting in their way. And that's why I think it, pro wrestling is the same way. If you have no vices that will screw you up, you have an understanding of the business, and you are genuine, a, an entertaining individual with athleticism, I think the sky is the limit with you in that business. So I'd say Johnny, uh, Kenny, Big Easy, definitely. I, you put some uh, – Put some overalls on him, make him country. I think he'd be great. Love it. Okay, go ahead, D. Go back to the island. Uh, well, what else do you remember? Dude, I mean, I, what? I, I remember. I remember you waking up randomly and attacking people physically. Uh-huh. You like sleep attacked. Like you, the one time you jumped on Johnny's bed. You like woke up. I don't know what the fuck happened, but you were like sleepwalking, but you ran and you dove on his bed 
And I remember hearing him. I, I didn't watch it, but I just heard it. And it was just, and I, I did see you sleepwalk, kind of sleep Derek, as I like to call it. Like uh, the night when we were back at the hotel, when you like went, went for some sleepwalk, I think like around the little hotel or whatever. But I just remember you having like, you could tell you walked through some trees and shit, but I was like, it was, I don't know. It was hilarious to me. The only person I know that sleep attacked me, he dove on. Just when I say sleep attack and stop me if I got any of this wrong, because you, you know, I don't want to overdo it, but we were sleeping. So we slept in these little tree houses where there's like, what, four beds, four beds to each little tree house. And they had the mosquito nets over the beds to obviously keep all the mosquitoes out. And Derek one night just shot straight up from his sleep and was grunting. And just making weird noises. And I guess Johnny looked over and said, hey, man, you all right? And you just looked right over at him. You said nothing. And you jumped out of your bed and you ran and dove through his mosquito net on top of him. And you bit him. <laughs> Did I get that right? Is that everything? <laughs> oh, fuck. No, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard that story before. No, I don't. Um no. Oh God! If you ask Johnny Hook to, dude, it was <laughs> fucking because you just heard him go, "Derek, goddamn!" Like I remember him reacting to it, and he had that loud Johnny voice, that high pitch, and I, everyone's like, "What the fuck's going on?" And then he's all dramatic. He's like, "Derek lost his fucking mind. He jumped on me. He started biting me or trying to make out with me." Or I don't know what he was trying. He was, like, of course, trying to like <laughs> make it silly, but. When he yeah. told us, like, you were sleepwalking or something, or you, you woke up and you looked over at him and you just ran and dove on top of him in his bed and, like, just bit him. Like, I don't know if you had a dream you were a wolf. I don't know what was going on, but I, I, think, I do remember that. I, I don't, but I think that fucking with Johnny and getting him a little worked up is, 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 is some of the funniest shit you can do to keep yourself entertained on an island. Well, so dude, if, if that's what you were doing, Derek, and you waited until like three in the <laughs> middle, and then you jumped like that was Derek. That was the most masterfully planned because as much as he was fucking with everybody, it was like karma because he was. You remember he was messing with with Evelyn. He was messing with Kelly. Like he would take turns like getting into people's heads and getting them super pissed off at him. And it was just like karma. That the one guy that everyone liked, Derek, you know, the guy that everyone respected, just jumps up and dives onto Johnny and attacks him. It was almost like you were touched and sent by God. You know, he just said, he's like, now that's it. This guy's going to get some of his own medicine here. Derek, wake up and go fucking crazy on him. Bite him in the neck. And I, I do remember that. I remember, uh, I remember when we had our little variety show where everybody dressed up and they did an act. And then I remember... We thought it was a good idea. We we made that big old bamboo shoot that we were gonna beer we were gonna uh, do beer shoots or beer luge. That's what we kept calling it. And then we ran out of beer, so we started doing it with wine, and people were throwing up because it burnt their esophagus so much. It was just a terrible idea, but yeah. we so bored we tried it. Yeah, bam, bamboo luge with wine. That's uh that, that's exactly what we did. And then we had the maggot sticks. Remember the maggot sticks? We had like the oh, bucket yeah. with the maggot sticks. Oh, they were gross. And then I remember you guys told me, because this is how drunk and stupid I was, we cleaned a fish, and then they were like, Dan, go clean off the little glass thing. You're like, go 
go clean all that off. And, and okay. And I like a fucking moron. I walk out. It, it's, it's like sun. I'm standing in the ocean, like up to my like waist, cleaning off fish guts into the water as crabs are coming up. Now, I'm not an oceanographer, but everything I've ever heard on what you are not supposed to do to attract <laughs> sharks, not <laughs> into the water at sunset because crabs are coming up and the sharks go after them. You sure as fuck don't chum the water. And that's exactly what I was doing. Just like an idiot. It just never, how I wasn't <laughs> eaten was amazing. I remember that. Yeah. The maggot sticks was off because it smelled terrible. Um, God, remember when Paula lost her mind one night? She had like a, like a mental breakdown and called us all douchebags and started crying. Yeah, I think and that was because like, Johnny was throwing maggot sticks or maggot yeah, leaves in the, under, under Didn't her nose. did 50 Cent yeah. write a song about this? I got the maggot stick. You, you remember? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know why man. I get it once. I get it twice. I got the maggot stick. Maggot. <laughs> no? Didn't it, dude, we're, so we're on this secluded island. This is the part that I... We're on this secluded-ass island, right? That's the illusion. One day I'm just sitting out there. I don't know where everybody went, but I was just sitting on a beach during the day. And then this just random dude comes walking down. <laughs> I don't even know where he could, just random. He has like, you know, cargo shorts on, no shirt on. And he's just got a bottle of rum in his back pocket. And he starts, sits down, starts talking with me and like sharing a bottle of rum. And at this point I drank so much. So I didn't even know if this dude was real or like an aberration or I, I don't know. But we said, and then they had to come kick him off. They had to tell me he had to leave, but like no one knew where the fuck he came from because well, there wasn't like anything near. Yeah, well, at that point, I think we realized that there that there is civilization somewhere near, right? Yeah, there like, was a human. Wasn't it, on, wasn't it like forty minutes on the other side of the island? Like, remember those people that lived that were down the road? They were in loincloths and shit, swinging from huts. Like they were like the most primitive beings. And it wasn't until like we went on the other side of that little hill where they had like the resorts and shit that there was like actual real people so like for this dude to just be walking i don't know man like i said i can't even pretend to really know what was going on i was so messed up uh it was all a blur dude i just remember i i, I just remember yeah the, the whole robin mess i felt like there was like four arguments my whole five weeks on that fucking island was Basically watching Evelyn and Johnny argue, Johnny and Kellyanne argue, uh, me and Robin argue, have sex a couple times, her punch me in the face. Uh, everybody have a fucking intervention with me, which is when I, when I realize you know you have a drinking problem, when people from the challenge sit you down and tell you you have a drinking problem, that's when you have to take it serious. When Tanya was babysitting me on the second night, that's when I had a feeling that maybe my drinking was out of control because Tanya was babysitting me. I do remember that. And Kenny saying she had a stupid uh, sweater or something. I don't remember. But, yeah, that, it was just blurs, man. And I, I can't. You remember really... when we sat? You remember how we sat and watched Kenny and Johanna like roll around in the on the beach? I do remember that. Yes, I do. Because he was talking about how he thought she was cute and she was talking about how she thought he was, he was like fucking something out of junior high. And then they just run out into the water and recreate a scene from here to eternity. And we were so bored. We just watched and cheered. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> like all the yeah. dudes were going crazy, like like we were going to get our dicks touched by Joanna. <laughs> like that, you know. Oh, uh, we were cheering them on for sure. I know, man. It was just. I do remember that. I remember. Um, you remember running r- running out into the uh, ocean, butt naked with uh, uh, Ryan Kehoe. I remember that, and then I remember actually going to get one of the drops butt naked because I told Robin to get me my shorts, and she didn't get it to me, or she she didn't have them. So I just like instead of waiting for him, I just said fuck it, and I ran butt naked. And then when I got up with the the thing, like the producers came over and like gave me shorts because like we can't film you naked. <laughs> and I remember the one thing I kept saying the whole time was, "It's reality TV. You film it, I live it." was like my, my one catchphrase that I would say because I was naked all the time. And they kept telling me, you can't be naked. We can't film you. <laughs> and I just remember just going, dude, reality TV, I live it. You film it. So, so. Scott, so every like, I don't know, maybe like a couple of days they do this like drop of uh, they drop like a like a, a big ass box uh, of like food stuff and, and, and another like piece to the pu- piece to the final puzzle, which is to build this sailboat at the end. And um, we would all have to, a couple of us would go out there, swim out to it and kind of like push it back at the shore. And this guy was trying to, was waiting for his shorts, was waiting to go do this drop, butt naked, no shorts on. (laughs) (laughs) And they told him he had to put fucking shorts on. Um, You just got, Scott, this is how bad I'll sum up how bad I was. This is from the beginning, how I was cursed. When but it's not like off, any of us cared. It was like it, 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 no one cared that you did it, did that. Like it was, it was like okay. It was like you're butt naked all the time. No, I mean, was, no, that, that was like, a rare was moment. Somewhat, yeah, it was a couple of rare moments, and they were fun. I just, dude, I definitely took to that. We were in the middle of nowhere. That like mentality, that. and I just that's how I live my life. But whenever this is the story, I do tell people, and I will say this about the island. I think it's the funniest. I got there, I drank, I got drunk, I got drunk the next night, the next night. I had no idea what was going on. At some point, we started the game. But I didn't know anything because I was drunk or passed out through the whole beginning instruction. So TJ shows up on the beach and starts to, like, start the fucking game. And literally, I have no idea what's going on. And I just turn around to, like, Kahuta. I'm like, hey, dude, what's the name of this thing? And, like, what, what are the rules? And he had to like catch me up before they started filming the first thing because literally I was such a mess. I didn't even know what the thing was called and I didn't even know the rules for like the first four days. Well, well, it was, it was weird, right? Because so there's no challenges. So Scott, you know, similarly to, uh, um, we have no idea what's going to happen with this total madness thing, but. Like we didn't have any challenges. It was all eliminations, all three three person eliminations. So, um, you know, I I guess it could be confusing. It was for the first time I was like, what are they doing? This is literally the real world challenge. Like it's it's the real world challenge. Like there's no competitions. There's eliminations. That's it. So yeah. and and vote offs. So like I'm not gonna lie, I don't I don't I don't hate that. Uh, like I'm not a big daily challenge guy. I uh whenever I watch Survivor, I kind of like if I'm watching like an old season, that's when I kind of tune out. Whenever I watch the challenge, like look, if it's like a major moment, whatever. But like 
those aren't, I don't remember those. You know, like once every season you get some crazy shit like Leroy falling off a car, landing on his face on the water and stuff. But like to me, you could probably save a lot of money cutting those things out. I, I don't need them. I really don't. So I like the eliminations so, and I like the reality. I thought, I thought, this, I thought the same thing. I go, damn, they're saving a lot of fucking money here because there's no competitions. It's just eliminations and we're living in a, in like a fucking treehouse that's tied <laughs> together by fucking rope and bamboo. Dude, it was, it was so poorly done that the wiring was zapping us. What wiring? You still, are you still there? Yeah. They go, yeah. Oh. Remember when the, when it would rain and we would go up the stairs or whatever to our things and like it would shock us? Because they literally just had slash wire, like, holding the, the lights up. Like, it was very hastily put together. You're right. They had to save a shitload of money on that. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this, Dan. So so you mentioned so, that you, you've been sober for a while. Um, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? When did you decide to, to get this. sober? Well, yeah, but I want the, the moment, you know, like, the, yeah. you oh, know, and what was the process like? We left. And just to yeah. be completely honest. We just took it. Yep, lead us to it. Yep. We're leaving the challenge, and, like, the night before, I was fucking nuts. I remember the night. We got videos of it. And we destroyed yeah, the room. I went we got fined for it. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I went back to TJ's. Or we went back to TJ's suite. I drank a bottle. I can't remember. All I know is I chased Johnny. He had to flip a TJ's fucking. TJ's suite, but TJ was not there. Yeah, he TJ, was not there. TJ was just under his name, and it was a big ass. It was where he was staying, and they put, like, eight of us in there. And after the rap party... We go there, and so it, we I'm cause fucking mayhem, huh? Yeah, I want him. I I don't know. Johnny does what he always does. Got me pissed off when I chased him. Flipped the fucking couch over on me. I don't know. I caused apparently a lot of damage. I got fined for it later, like eighteen hundred dollars worth of damage. Uh, but I blacked in, out. I think. Yeah, we all chipped in. Yeah, like I don't really remember that. And the next thing was, I'm getting woke up, and it was like, we gotta go. We gotta go. We're flying out. So I'm still like half on whatever I'm on and half drunk. They get us in like what that plane that flew us from one side of Panama to the other. And then we got into the airport, like the major airport, got on a second plane and we went into Miami. And by this point, I'm I'm with I'm coming down from everything. And I guess like the whole what everything that had happened for the last five weeks just kind of came to me at one time. And I was getting onto this third plane and I just decided like, I'm not staying on this plane anymore. Like I can't stand, like I gotta, I gotta go somewhere. I gotta figure out what's going on. Like I started having this, like, and I never had a panic attack before, but I started having one. Cause like everything, like I knew that I had embarrassed myself. I embarrassed my family. Like I had just done some terrible things and I was just kind of all coming to grips, you know? And like I said, it's probably the first time in a long time that I was sober, sober. So I'm freaking out. And so I said, get me off this plane. And at that point, they didn't want to. They shut the door. But I made enough of a case that they opened the door and, like, let me go. And as I'm walking, like, I just, like, I don't know what a panic attack's like, but my heart's beating. So I kind of flip out. And I, like, I don't know why I thought this was the way to go. But I went after one of the airport workers who was, like, because I was, like, call paramedic. And he's, like, I'm not calling a paramedic. I said, I'll, I said something like, I'll, I'll fucking destroy your whole booth. You don't call a paramedic. So like right at that point, some lady from Burger King and right, I like ran over, grabbed me, sat me down, started asking me all these questions. And then her son was like in my face. 
And I found out later her son had like a terrible anxiety disorder. So like he could see that I was about to flip out. So they sat me down and they're just literally trying to keep me occupied. So I just don't lose my shit. And then the paramedics came and it was just bad because at one point, and I think Derek, this is kind of how I was on the Island in general. Like if I felt like someone was like, I would get paranoid and I felt like someone was thinking something or doing something like I would flip out. And like one of the, paramedics was just looking at me and i looked at him and i was like well you think you're fucking better than me or something i don't i forgot what long story short i got hostile and that leads to me being escorted police escort out of miami airport uh i was put in a decom uh, decompression hold or whatever at a uh, mental institution until i could calm down and then eventually they sent me over to the va and then they like fucking diagnosed me with all this stuff that I guess I'd been ignoring and self-medicating over and letting it build up over years. And I mean, dude, the island wasn't the worst I was. It was just the first time I was like in front of a camera and not eating and all that. I mean, I had problems years before, uh, but it, it was finally the first time where literally I was so messed up and I'd created such a mess at Miami airport that I was on a 96 hour, like uh, no mass travel list. Like I couldn't get on a train, a, uh, a bus, anything. So my dad had to come get me. And I was supposed to go to Bridgeport, California for the Marine Corps, but I couldn't make it because I was held there. So I missed that, which later on would get me into trouble with them and uh, or a little bit of trouble. Not to, they were actually really cool. They knew I was. But long story short, man, this is what. You're at, the, you're at the Miami airport, though. You need to get to St. Louis. Your dad yeah, comes and drives I, and picks you up from St. Louis in Miami. Yeah. Dude goes to Miami, picks me up, drives me back. Um, Like I said, I got home. I probably I, I stayed sober for a little bit, but then I, I would have these little relapses here and there. But then one night, and this is a true story, like that really ended it. So even after the whole thing in Miami, I was uh, I was out with some friends and I kind of like relapsed into some drinking and drug use. And, dude, I like felt some, I, something felt weird inside of me. So I was like, dude, I'm going to the hospital. Right. I don't know why I was like, I'm going to drive down the VA and go to the hospital. Something's wrong. So I like I drive down there and I'm drunk, of course, and I spin out of control because it's raining. I crash probably right outside of like one of the worst exits in the city of St. Louis. It's like one of the most crime ridden. Just you don't want to be there. It's like two in the morning. I pull my car up. I get it on the gas station. I'm not even there for what feels like 15 minutes. This Escalade pulls up. I got a gun in my face. They're basically telling me to give me everything I got. The, the, the fucking gas station workers just staring at me through one of those like gun like, like fire or uh bulletproof glass he's not doing anything and uh i was lucky i didn't have any money my car was fucked it was visibly fucked up so like they seen that and for whatever reason man they just drove off they didn't like kill me do anything they just drove off and uh i blacked out from there i don't really remember but i woke up in the emergency room i'd been put into a like a medical coma for 24 hours because of withdrawal and basically I was stuck there for like a 96 hour hold. And long story short, that's when I was like, dude, I'm done between what happened at that Miami airport. And my dad happened to come get me after I was like escorted out by the police. And then this shit happening. I was like, dude, I'll never, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm done. And then I went to like some outpatient rehab and never drink again. And that was like 10 years ago. So that was the end of it. Wow. Well, there, I mean, look, there's a lot out to the island, D. Come on. Um, that's a that, crazy story, and I'm glad you made it out. I mean, look, so, I mean, that was how long ago? You said 10 years ago? 
Yeah, that was April 26, 2009. Wow. It was the night that all that shit happened. So, yeah, when I went back on Cutthroat, I was only seven months sober. So going on to the Cutthroat, which is probably the one challenge that I did where I was like, I wouldn't even say level-headed, but not completely inebriated. Uh, I was only seven months. Like I, I was, that's how like freshly sober. But yeah, the island was a big eye opener. Like that was the first time, especially when it came out and I had to watch myself on it. That was definitely an eye opening. Like, dude, I can't, I can't, I got to figure this out. But dude, as anyone will tell you who's had an addiction to that shit, it's not always that easy. You got to like, it's hard. Like you're going to, you're going to have your withdrawals or you're going to have your, your, your relapses and, you know, until you, I don't know why the island wasn't enough, but apparently, you know, like I said, getting arrested in that Miami airport wasn't enough and it led on to something else. But eventually, yeah, I got over it and I decided I was going to go back to do cutthroat. I was going to do one challenge. It was kind of a, I knew I wouldn't make it unless I could walk into the lion's den and make it in that scenario. So newly sober, I was like, yeah, I'll go to Prague. I'll sit inside here. I'll do a challenge. I won't act like an idiot. You know, I won't make my mother cry again. You know, and I'll, I'll do it the way I should have did the first, you know, two shows. And, uh, I'll show myself that even in the worst predicament, I can like, I can get over it. And that was like the whole, that was the only reason that I went to do cutthroat. And, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Derek. I wouldn't have been able to go do cutthroat had somebody not sent me some money to help me out with some financial issues. That's somebody being Mr. Derek Kaczynski, uh, or else I would have never even been able to go do the show. Oh, I didn't know that. You sent me 400 bucks, dude, to get me. I had something I needed to pay for immediately, and I was going to have to keep my job, or I wasn't going to be able to leave. And you were like, no, nah, man, I'll send you the money if you want to go do you know, whatever, and uh, just pay me back whenever you get it. Awesome. You don't remember that? Hell Yeah. I don't even, I, I'm, I don't even care, bro. I, I mean, I, how many concussions did you, do you have? I, listen, I've taken a lot of chairs to the head, man. I've, I've, I've gone through a lot of, I think that one power bomb from, from the island really it was the, was the straw that broke the, the, the concussions back, bro. I think that's, that's, that's the one right there. Um, you, yeah, that, I knew, you let me that money. I wouldn't have been able to go, but I did. And it gave me a chance to go and, Finally do a challenge like a normal person. I mean, I still didn't really do any good, but at least I wasn't, you know, running around naked and getting punched in the face by girls and hitting people with maggot sticks. How easy was it to stay sober on the cutthroat? It was, to be honest with you, man, it was hard. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming, Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Like, the beginning it wasn't, um, but the longer you're there... Um, especially like if you do any of these challenges, I mean, you know, and, and, and you sit inside, you have no distractions. Uh, people become more paranoid as the time goes. And like, maybe it was just from my perspective, Derek, you could, you can answer everyone. I felt like everyone was at each other's throats the minute it started. 
Like it didn't even take any time. Like that first night, I think Siobhan slapped Laurel. It was just stupid shit right off the beginning. So there was that like that part helped in the beginning because I was seeing a bunch of people act stupid while they were drunk. And I was like, okay, this is why I don't do this. But yeah, Abe and Carl were like all fucking dressed up, having like carving up a, a, a watermelon. So yeah, like we were up till like six in the morning that night. Okay, anyway, sorry. Yeah, literally the first two episodes of that fucking season, as far as like the in-house stuff, is the same night. It's the first fuck. Like you see daylight and nighttime. We literally were up all night. Yeah, it's just like you couldn't sleep. So that part was easy when everyone was acting like idiots and they were being all nuts. But as the challenge went on and people started going home and it was just kind of all of us sitting around, that's when everything. That was the hardest. It was like. People were just sitting around casually drinking, um, and it was, it, it, I don't know, it just, it weared on me a little bit, and there's, a, I mean, there's even a part in the season where I have to call home because, and they don't really show this part, but somebody brought a cake into the house that no one mentioned it was a rum cake, and what I mean by a rum cake, this shit was doused in rum. Like, it wasn't just, like, baked in it, like, it was wet, and you could taste it, and it was rum in it. And like I had eaten a piece, which normally wouldn't have been a big deal. But like right when I put it in my mouth, it was just like a lot of shit happened. Like I could taste it. I was mad. I wanted to go home, but they were cool and let me kind of call home and get a level head and stay. And, you know, and, and we did. And I did. And it was one of those were like walking away from it. Like I said, I don't think my performance was very good because I don't think I was very I wasn't all the way there to be a good competitor. But, you know, to go in to not, you know screw everything up and to be able to leave that scenario and know that I can make it through. I definitely think was one of the reasons why 10 years later, man, I don't, I haven't touched it. And I mean, I'm in and out of comedy clubs all the time where people are, you know, doing drugs and drinking and all that. And it just doesn't bother me. And I think a lot of that, I I chalk a lot of that up to having to sit in that, that house at cutthroat and kind of watch everyone get a little lit and, like stuff and even fuck everyone was drinking absinthe i never got to drink absinthe so there was like that curiosity of like ooh, can i try it and you know you had to remind yourself no but it ain't that special (laughs) it's the sake of saying that you tried it yeah everyone you know what dude you know what here's a a good story though one night you were getting you and easy were getting lit on the vodka Uh you're getting really drunk and uh we're all, we had to hide in that room because Katie was like walking around. In the closet. We were in the closet. Dude, we were in this, we were hiding from Katie, like from Katie. And then all of a sudden, dude, like you were drinking and you like walked outside to see if she was out there and you just heard Derek and like that Katie voice. And dude, you turned around and fucking immediately started to try and find somewhere to hide. But he opened up this door into like this, this like, cabinet that only had dressers and he like still tried to shut himself in the door between it was just like he was in a panic it's one of the funniest things i can remember through that whole thing was just you like her screaming and it's scaring the shit out of you so much because you didn't want to find you well you know when she get you know when she gets tipsy man you it's it's like you don't you know it's you gotta you gotta be ready for that sometimes you know uh So I was hiding and we were hiding in like a closet and we were fucking drinking that bottle in the, in that room with the closet. Um, whoever seen kids play hide and go seek and they start counting. And then there's that first couple minutes where kids don't know where to hide. 
and then you have all that excitement. So they start trying and, to fit into places they can't fit in. That is and, exactly what he did. Well, and it sounds like you guys may have been like covering for me. Like you guys were in that room. I'd hide. She'd be like, where's he at? And I, you guys would be like, we don't know. And then yeah, you know, she would leave. Be- I'd come out. We'd drink, <laughs> come back, <we'd> hide. <laughs> He's not here. <laughs> Um, I want to ask both you guys this, and then I want to get to the patron questions. But, uh, so from your perspective, Dan, how do you think that, you know, now looking back on it, I'm sure obviously maybe people tried to keep this from you at the time, but do you feel like, I don't know if there was anyone else in that house. It was like, you know, seven months into a quest to be sober, uh, whether it was just you, did you get the feeling that people felt like you were kind of cramping their style? Like they were happy for you and everything, but they were like, Oh, come on. This is kind of a buzzkill. And Derek on the other side of things, I know you're looking for hiding spots and stuff like that. What's it like when you have someone like Dan, who obviously you guys all wish the best for while simultaneously you're like, Hey dude, this is my vacation. This is what I do. This is the challenge. I want to party. Sorry, dude. You probably treat it a little dip- more differently than you would just like a friend in real life. You'd probably be like, oh, I cannot drink for three hours. You know, you know, uh, Dan's around. You know, first Dan and then Derek. What's it like having someone on a quest for sobriety in a house filled with people that are on a quest for intoxication? I do. All right, so one thing with me, I would say that normally that would be I'd understand completely what you're saying or what they would think. I don't ever remember ever asking people to not do exactly what they wanted to do. And like, I would chill there. I would be with you. If you wanted to drink, if you had, I would sit there. And if I needed to leave, then I would leave. Yeah, but they probably should have. Like, you shouldn't be in a position. And that's the thing where it's like, you know, you're on a reality show and indirectly a lot of people, I think, are being paid to party. So it's a little different. But like in real life, like it's not fair that the person should have to say it should have to be on you to leave or on you to say, hey, can you guys cool it or whatever. People who are nice and people who understand, you know. Other people are going through certain shit and how you can trigger them with certain behavior and how, you know, we've all had that friend who like, you know, to kind of take it down a couple notches. You ever have that friend who's like saying they quit smoking five weeks ago and then as the night goes on and on and on and then at like 1230, they're going around and they're begging someone for a cigarette and you're like, dude, didn't you tell me you quit? And they're like, ah, just one, whatever. And then flash forward three weeks later, you're like seeing him smoking again. You're like, yep, I was there when that. You know, 1230 at night, the person was just like, ah, all bets are off. I'm going to get back on the smoking train. And it's like, you know, it's it's not on the person to have to at that point. It's on the people to be like, nope, I'm not going to let you whatever. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, obviously you never put people in an awkward position. Did you get the feeling that people were sympathetic? Did anyone ever try to get you to drink and say, ah, come on, dude, just on the challenge, anything like that? Um. Uh, no, not no one tried it. Well, other than whoever made that fucking cake, I don't think anyone ever <laughs> tried. But um, there was okay. So if you knew me, I always say it, someone that knew me, whether it was like Derek or Tori or Johnny or Paul, anybody that was you know Jen, anyone that seen how nasty and fucked up I was firsthand. Um, I I truly feel like they were happy for it. like I I there I. It, it, I I never got the, the, the feeling that they were thinking I was a buzzkill. I really think that they were super cool and on board with it. But I did feel that there was a couple of people that didn't know me, that they were just meeting me for the first time, that were getting a little tired of the whole Dan doesn't drink thing. Like, oh, yeah, we get it. Dan doesn't drink. Look at this guy who's trying to stay sober. Ooh, we play, you know, world's smallest violin. Like, I definitely think there were some people there that were a little tired of hearing the shit. Um, but I do think that like, anybody that was with me on the island that saw how nasty it was, like, I never got that vibe from them. But 
yeah, from some of the newer guys who didn't really understand how fucking terrible I was, definitely felt like they thought I was like the old man or the the buzz killer, the lame ass, or why are you here? And there was even a couple people that were like, if you're so bad off, why would you come here when you don't even have a year of sobriety? Like almost looking at me like, what are you, an idiot? And yeah, they're right. I mean, I, I, it's not, it's not what I, like I chose, you know what I mean? I didn't have to go there. So it's nobody's, you know, responsibility to, to make sure I feel great. But I definitely felt there was some people that were like looking at me like, you're a moron. Why would you come here? If you really wanted to change, if you really wanted to get away from this, you wouldn't put yourself in that predicament. But like I said, those were the people that didn't know me and probably didn't understand what I was trying to do. Or didn't see it from my side. They were just, you know, kind of just not knowing me, wondering why I would take such a risky thing if I was really serious about it, if I take such a risk. But uh, I don't know. I never felt like, you know, I never felt Johnny and anybody that knew me. I never felt Dunbar. And, and tons of people were with me on the island that were on Cutthroat. And I definitely, they hit it well. They didn't by going like, yeah, man, I don't. No. Oh. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't, it doesn't matter who's. I think there's a mutual respect whenever you enter a situation like that. If someone says no, it's no. Like there's no need for me to push you to drink. I mean, we're definitely not in high school anymore, you know? And, you know, you mentioned something about, oh, you get paid to get, you know, intoxicated or drink. No, not, not really. You know, it's like, it's up to you how much you drink, how much, you know, you think you need this to, even if you want to entertain or, or yeah, whatnot. That, that was kind yeah. of an oversimplification of it. I think what happens is people feel like they're getting paid to be on and be an entertaining version of themselves. And I think a lot of people have a bit of social anxiety and they're not that version of themselves unless they've had a margarita or two. So, um, yeah. in a roundabout yeah. way, I'm I, saying that. I, I think, I think we were all happy to see him not, you know, follow his goal of to sobriety. I think that, you know, anytime anyone can recognize that they have a problem and they can't control it and that, you know, I think that that's the start. So I don't think that, you know, anyone that knows Dan or cared about Dan is like, Oh, Hey, you should have a drink. Yeah. This is a good idea. You know, it's the same thing, like taking that steel chair to the head, knowing that it's probably not a good idea. You've taken enough steel chairs to the head. You've drank enough. You don't, you, you know, this is not good for you. So it's like, but you know, it's up to him whether he wants to have a drink or not and how much he's going to drink. You know, he doesn't hate, he, he, he wouldn't have had to have, you know, a fucking polish off that bottle of vodka with me and fucking Big Easy at the time. And he wasn't and we weren't pushing him and he was playing the game with us. And this is why, you know, watching him do his comedy, which uh, I, I mean, I, I just, I watched a little bit of it. I was like, I was literally laughing at you before you even took, told a joke. Like yesterday when I touched base with you, I was laughing in the first sentence that we started speaking, you know? So it was, um, I like there people, some people don't have to drink and I don't think he had to drink and like he, like he explained it. And, and I think that you know, with people in the world today, like if people don't want to drink, people don't want to do something. It's just no need to push them, you know? Um, so I'm proud of you, dude. I'm proud of you. Um, I, he's also security guard at the Ritz Carlton, Scott. I don't know. I think that's a big deal too. I don't know. In a weird, <laughs> weird roundabout way, I think that's like a cool job. I don't know. Wait, what comedian do you do with the Ritz Carlton? Comedian on the side, mall cop on the other side. You know. So you do I, uh, security guard. You're a security guard at the Ritz. I wear no. I work loss prevention. So it's a little bit more than security, but yeah, it's it, it. 
loss you know prevention. What, so I was, I was, I think I was working on a pitch once about loss prevention. That's preventing things from being stolen and stuff. You're watching the security cameras and stuff, right? Dude, it's, it's a lot of, it's like, dude, you, you got it. Yeah. You don't, you want to lose money. So that's workman's comp. That's scam artist, credit card theft. Right. That's, it's I mean, big it's in the, uh, the department store industry, right? It's like a, a okay, lot yeah. of shoplifting and stuff like that. It's okay. So it's similar. Yeah. In department stores, it's shoplifting or internal threat theft with like gas. With us, it's just you in no way do you want the place to lose money when it doesn't have to, whether that be anything. People taking being, you know, unsafe, uh, people stealing people, you know, uh, uh, you name it, man. Everything like I said, everything from like workman's comp to. Uh, safety measures so people don't get hurt if they don't have to. Then you're helping the guests all the way down to emergencies, like if they have heart attacks and medical issues. Like you're just, you're there to pretty much, you're like the dean of students for the, uh, for the hotel. You're just making sure everybody does what they're supposed to do the way they're supposed to do it so that you don't lose money if you don't have to. Uh, and well, then that's pretty cool. Like we do private security for like high, high name guests and stuff like that. But there's a lot of stuff to it, but. Right now, unfortunately, with everything that's going on, like there's not a lot going on, but yeah, no, tell me, people aren't staying at Ritz Carlton's uh, to this day. Um, yeah. Just to be honest so with you, just... right now with the amount of people out there, I think every hotel probably feels like a Ritz Carlton. Probably, uh, yeah, because I... you, you'll have it all to yourself. But yeah, yeah that's that's what I do uh, to to pay the bills, man. Because believe it or not, Scott, I know you're gonna find this hard to believe. Comedy doesn't uh, completely pay the bills in Los Angeles. I know you're going to find that hard. Well, to here's what we're going to do, Dan. So next time we come to L.A., which I don't know if we'll get there before this, but WrestleMania 2021 is in Los Angeles. So we'll definitely be doing Challenge Mania there then, uh, whether it's then or whether it's beforehand. Um, next time we do a show there, why don't you come down, be a part of the show, but also hit them with a little comedy set? What do you think? Love it. I would love to do that. That'd be great. Yeah, we should just so. have him come on like a bonus podcast and do a comedy set. Whatever, Dude, maybe you know not what? A- you know, I don't know, Dan. If you've been watching the wrestling without the crowd on TV, it's not the same thing. Stand up comedy without a crowd, you can do like a bonus co- podcast where he just does his material with two of us on the line. That's not going to work. You need the crowd. You need the 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 audience reaction. Mm. Yeah, you know that they're trying to do virtual open mics out here now, and they actually want you to pay for it. They they just want somehow want your money. They just they they want they somehow <laughs> want to get your money, dude. I have a friend. His name's Luke Schwartz, uh, who I used to do comedy with. I'm still friends with him on Facebook, and he's always posting the the whatever it's called. It's open mic or potluck or whatever it is. You know, he's posting the comedy store sign in sheet for the open mics over there, and it's like seven pages. It's honestly oh, it yeah. looks like it looks like the uh, the the library book sign out sheet from a library that's existed since 1850. It literally does. I'm like, how? What are you? What are you doing? Like really? Like I get it. I get it's Hollywood. I get even being part of the comedy store in some capacity is worth it. But I mean, Jesus Christ, it's like 50 uh, people, easily, 50 to 100 sign up for that thing. At least. And it's like, dude, I never got I never. And I know it's a part of comedy. I never understood the idea of performing in front of other people who are all cynical comics in their own right. Because, again, you, you, look, being able to make a comic laugh is good because these are funny people, I guess, and they have like a bit of a high bar for what they're going to laugh at. But first of all, any joke they really like, they might fucking steal. Secondly, 
Another thing you want to do is you want to be able to write jokes that are going to play in a room filled of random people because that's who you're performing for. That's who pays for. So you could write a joke that it's smart for the comics. So inside baseball that the open mic comics love it. And then you go do it in Missouri and people are like, huh, what the hell is that? I don't get that reference. I've never seen that movie. So, so honestly, I never, I never got why that was the proving ground, the open mics in front of all the comics. I, I, it's like, it was never my thing. No, I agree with you, man. <laughs> I agree 100%. I think the only thing, the only reason I think some people treat it as like an audition, like they figure if someone's watching from the club and they see you and you do so great that they'll just have you back. Like there's that belief. I don't know how much of a possibility that is, but no, I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't know why people go to mics filled with other comics who have been to 14 mics that day so far and they don't want to laugh at anything. So you have no real good feedback. And it's like you said, man, you're, the guys are writing jokes to a group of people that are that don't have they're not the general masses who you're going to be needing to impress if you're going to make any kind of like lucrative you know living off of this thing or um, get big i want to ask you some questions from the patrons before we let you go tracy wants to know does dan keep up with the challenge anymore uh i'm not gonna no. <laughs> not really i i mean like okay so i'll see clips like they'll have so one somebody put me on one of these Facebook pages where everybody just talks about the challenge. And so whenever it's on my live stream or whatever, or if I'm just looking through Facebook or, or anything like that, I do see updates and clips. So I kind of know what's going on, you know, um, but and, uh, or I, I might go on YouTube and they may have like a clip of like a certain elimination or something like that. So I do watch those, but I mean, in the last four years, I haven't had MTV. Like I really haven't had a consistent, you know, I, I Netflix everything, right? You know, I'm on the go a lot. So I haven't really been able to watch it. It's not that I have anything against the show. If I, if I had like a, a, a steady place to watch them, I probably would. Um, but yeah, in a while, I just haven't, haven't really been tuning in. Sorry. I have been like watching all the lead ups to this one because it looks really cool. But as far as a consistent watch, um, no, I just catch the clips as they, as they're posted. Similar token, John Williams, who I believe is our man, uh, John, who actually does a little bit of wrestling himself, uh, met him down, uh, where, what show did I meet him at? I want to say it was Nashville or, or yeah, I think it was Nashville. Um, John has a, a wrestling career going. He says, I'd love to know, uh, and we talked about the indie career, so I'll skip that part of the question. He says, does Dan watch any current wrestling? If so, who are your favorites? So where, what, what, what is your wrestling fandom? What, what are the kind of, you're still into watching wrestling, even though you're not out there? I know you said you did a little bit recently as a favor to somebody. Are you still a wrestling fan? This is, <laughs> this is going to make people probably hate me a little bit. Um, I'm not a fan of any modern wrestling in any capacity, in reality. Um, most of the wrestling that I watch that I care, that I like is probably going to be from like the eighties and the nine, maybe early nineties when I felt like it was still a presentation of a athletic event. Now, have you given uh, a shot to AEW on TNT on Wednesday nights from eight to 10? I have tried, and yes, I, I do not watch it anymore. Really? What? No. What? That didn't uh, give you the the athletic it, presentation that, vibe it, at all? Uh, it's gymnastics. It's swing dancing. I feel no. Like I'm not. A, I'm not a Kenny Omega fan. I'm not at all. Like I know everybody loves him. Uh, nothing about what he does is believable to me. Mm. Like I, I feel like he's a guy pretending to be a wrestler. Um, 
when they use the whole, I, I, I just don't, and you know what? I think I, the guy has great athleticism. He has great, like, I get it. I just don't buy it. Me personally, I don't buy it. Okay. Uh, I think, but I will say this. I should say this actually. AEW, I shouldn't say that I could. AEW has produced, I'll say three things that I love watching. Okay. okay. First off, I think Cody Rhodes and Jericho, I love watching them. Yeah. I think they are the opposite. Like, I think they've become more old school. Yes, definitely. And I love that. Um, I love to watch the development of MJF. I think that he's a, right now a little hacky. I think he goes, he tries to do a little too much to where it takes the authenticity away. And now I, he's just a character. But I think that he has unbelievable amounts of potential. And I think that if he can get into the, into the, into the, uh, tutelage of a lot of those great legends that they have in that back locker room, I think he'd be amazing. And then also that promo that Jake the Snake Roberts cut to Cody Rhodes was one of the coolest promos I've ever seen. That was a, a couple, long that time. was, that was two weeks ago, last week. So you're saying, you know, you, when did you put it on to decide you're never going to watch it? Cause you're clearly kind of oh, no, watching I it watched still. It, I watched it consistently for like the first, like through the whole show. I watched it for the first three weeks. But that Jake promo just, was I, the other day. I know, but what I'm saying is, so on my YouTube, it brings up things that it thinks that I may like, right? Uh, so it'll bring up Jericho segments. It'll bring up like Cody segments, MJF segments, uh, and stuff like that. And I do tune into those, but as far as giving the whole thing, like here's the thing. I saw Kenny Omega before he came over. I, I was not, and to me, it feels like it's the same thing. Like I said, everybody, everybody likes what they like. Everybody has a right to like what they like. And I'm not, I just current stuff like watching, I can't watch the whole thing. And, and here's the thing I've worked with like Christopher Daniels and guys like that who I respect the shit out of. And like I said, there's, there's definitely, I would love more wrestling to be successful. But when I watched AEW, AEW to me felt like an indie with a lot of money. And the only things that I, the only people I felt like really showed like star power. Like actual, like when Chris Jericho talks and does his thing, it is him. Like he makes me think he is that. And if he's ridiculous, he's purposely being ridiculous, but it's still, it, it would be a way that like an athlete post Super Bowl would be ridiculous. Like it's all believable to me. I think Cody does the same thing. He's not trying to be this like eccentric character. He's just being that, you know what I mean? He's being a wrestler. He's being that athlete. He's being now, of course, wrestling will exaggerate and so on and so forth. But for me, he's believable. Jericho's believable. When I was watching all the stuff, MJF and them were good. I don't like, I don't want to watch 150 pound guys fight each other. It just doesn't, I'm old school in that. I don't, it's not believable to me. Um, a lot of their matches look like it's just too choreographed. And that's kind of what just kind of distanced me from it. So I do watch certain clips uh, but as far as watching it consistently, I tried to do it for like the first three weeks, man. And I just, and even then a lot of times I was turning it off. Um, but you know what? I'm, like I said, that my taste is just like, I just, I'm to the point in my life where I really like to go back and watch the older stuff. Like I'd rather watch Mr. Perfect Russell more than anybody in modern, like modern wrestling. Mm, love I will watch a Mr. Perfect match from Saturday night main event over current guys in the main event uh at the tokyo dome yeah me too yeah me too because i don't understand any of these other guys that you're talking about mr now we're talking 
he's perfect is just so good. He's so the way he sells and the way he does it just he does little things that are amazing. And I love that shit. And that that part, I mean, maybe it's because I'm getting older, dude. I don't know. Maybe it was just, you know, I worked for a short time with WLW, which was Harley Race's group. And, like, they really taught me in that small time. And even with my time, like, working with, like, A. Steele, who's one of the trainers down at uh, WWE, who, who, who can work that other style. But he always said that, like, God, why? He always said, don't, not what are you going to do, but why? Why are you doing this in a match? Why, what sense does this make? You know, try to make it as close to a fight as possible. That's why people don't emotionally get into it anymore because it, the shit has become so unbelievable that even if the moves are stimulating, they still don't have that emotional response that they had back in the day because the characters, the people, when Austin's music hit, no one gave a shit if he did a triple backflip or, you know, could do 16 different arm breakers. The fact that that dude hit the ring and did the most simple shit got that crowd going nuts because of the emotions, because of that character. And I just don't see that in anybody, at least for me. So, I mean, that's a long answer, but that's kind of, I, I have been going back and watching older stuff, dude. Like, I like to watch, you know, Ronnie Garvin. I like to watch, like, guys who I think look like legit badasses. And, I mean, it is pro wrestling. I understand it's always going to be a little exaggerated, but I do think the stuff now is just getting a little too ridiculous, in my opinion. And people are more focused on what's going to go viral rather than what's going to tell a good story and get people embedded. And that's why I'm just not really on board. And, and that goes on both sides, man. Like, I, st- I will say this. I do watch NXT. I lied. I do watch NXT and not so much because of, like, the guys. I think what they're doing with the females is amazing. I think their women's division in NXT is amazing. And I do like watching that develop. But I should. I love it. I should. Hey, dude, I love that answer, man. I mean, look, I, I like AEW, I, I like NXT as well, but you know, you sound even you, so you sound passionate in your distaste for it, which I, I'll take passion with, uh, passion for distaste over just kind of, eh, I don't give it like De- the way Derek gives a shit about wrestling. I'd rather you be passionate about your distaste for it than just, eh, I can take it or leave it. So, um, and I'm a big Mr. Perfect guy myself. D, I'll let you wrap it up, uh, but one last question. To end the challenge note from my side of things, Tracy also wants to know, and you can't say Derek, do you have a favorite challenger uh, that, of course, you played with or got to know over the years? If so, who? And you can't say Derek, even though he gave you 400 bucks. I can't say Derek. He bought my vote. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly why you can't say it. Um, God. There, okay, so there's a, there's a couple, man. Uh, I love Kahata. Mm. on the fact that he never had to play, at least when I was around, he never tried to play the politics bullshit. He wasn't the biggest guy, but he had so much drive in him. And he had that old man knowledge where he could, I don't know, he could think through things. So even at a small size, I mean, maybe this was just me, even at his small size, he was agile. And I thought he had a good like brain on him. So I would say he definitely... I would put him up there um, as far as my favorite. It's just like, you know, someone I respect on that. I liked how he did that. Um, I only got to do like one with him. But uh, where's, who else? I can't Trace, say Tracy. Tracy's going to like that answer, huh, Scott? I think he so. He doesn't even know. It's a different he Tracy. He doesn't even no, know. Sorry. No, it's, oh. not, it's not the Kahuta enthusiast. It's Tracy oh. Rosette. Sorry. Oh, it is well, not the Kahuta well, enthusiast. There's a few. There's people who I think just work their asses off and uh they were just all you know that I was around and they were just all about 
the competition, which is honestly, I know I can't answer Derek, but that's why I respect Derek is that Derek can fit in and make sure he's on the right side of the politics, but he's not the one condemning people or anything like that. He's doing what he's got to do. But in the end of the day, he gets his shit done in that elimination, and he gets it done on that field. Okay, 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 okay. We now know what for what kind of uh, a glowing review four hundred dollars buys you. Apparently, this so is what it, you so get. But no, that's that was Kahuta. Kahuta didn't have to. He was never going around going, "Oh, I'm the best competitor. I'm this. I'm that." He never had to talk about himself. It was just like when, and, and even in the sum that I seen after, he just did it, man. He just went out and he just gave it one hundred and ten fucking percent, and he had confidence in himself. And I just I respect that a lot. And uh, so I would say Kahuta definitely. See who else, man. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> this is gonna sound terrible. I'm gonna put Johnny in there too because even though every time he shows up, there's always a group of people that are like don't trust Johnny. He's gonna he'd sell his own mother out. They say it this every time he comes up. They say it, but yet he will still manipulate those same exact people to do exactly what he wants and then screw them over and they'll fall for it over and over and over again and i find that hilarious to me so i also liked watching him because i could tell everything you can't trust him at all i know that at least in the game but these people who he's fooling are people who he's done it to over and over like i've never been personally screwed out of anything by johnny in a game Every time I've lost, it's my fault. But, dude, I know people that have been screwed, and they still trust him. And it's like, dude, at this point, I'm not even mad at him. I'm wondering what's wrong with you. Like, So I do enjoy watching him uh, manipulate people that know he's going to screw them over, and then they still fall for it. All right, Derek. So there's that. That's the side of that on the, uh, the spectrum. What do you got, dude? Nah, nah, that's it, man. I was not expecting to talk to you for two and a half hours, but – Man, it's so nice catching up with you, man. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. Hopefully we can, uh, hang out at some point, um, in the I near future. Anything that was constructive, I feel like yes. I ramble about everything sure. and anything and never stayed on point the entire time. Did out of this two hours, did you guys get at least 15 minutes of coherent something to put on for people who don't know us that they could, you know, take anything from it? Yeah, aside from all both of your uh wrestling gibberish talk with the names that no one ever know no one knows we're talking about. Uh yeah, I think there's a solid hour and 45 minutes in there. Can I GW wrestling? What the fuck? Yeah. Anyway. Well, that was just old school stuff, man. Yeah, but yeah, uh, Scott likes that stuff. I know that right now there's no comedy clubs open, but can I? Uh, I need Instagram fans, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plug, because, plug it out. Where, where do you got? Yeah. Apparently, talent does not matter uh, that much anymore in the industry in LA. Yeah. They need you to Welcome have. Welcome to the fucking the real world, bro. What's your You're Instagram? Right. I need those fans. Okay, so if you can go to Dan Walsh three one four, and uh, and I promise, if you're an AEW fan, and you, I will watch a week of AEW. For every new friend that I get. Okay, so <laughs> there you go. There. All right. Well, I just I, followed you, so that's one week. But by the way, I don't want you to start until the crowd's back because I these look they're doing a better job than most. But I, these empty crowd uh, episodes are just too much for me. It reminds me of wrestling school. Like yeah. it's literally what it reminds me of. Everybody's going through wrestling school. They're running their like drills and shit, but 
they're just putting it on TV. That's what I feel like. It's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I'm not into it. Okay, so I put Dan, it on the other day. It was weird. It was weird. Not, I barely watch wrestling anymore. Dan Walsh three one four on Instagram, and then are you on Twitter too, or are you just more of a uh, more yeah. of a visual medium these days? I need to get more onto Twitter. I just God, I don't think that I have that much important You're a joke guy. You're a joke guy. Just say something stupid, dude. You need to and drop your jokes. React. That's true. That so is Dan true. Walsh eighty three on Twitter. Can you imagine right? how much dumb shit crosses your mind throughout the week? Now you could just put it out there and have people fucking assault well, you, you, you for you it. You know my sense of humor. I'm going to wind up saying something, and all these keyboard activists are going to like. Yeah. Me. You're going to get assaulted, and then me and Scott are going to be laughing. Me, Scott, and Johnny Bananas are going to sit back and laugh. Chime uh, in every I, now and then. Come on. Get in the game, bro. And why are you Dan Walsh 83 on Twitter and then Dan Walsh 314? You got to pick one. And you, yeah, uh, yeah, you got to pick one and stick to it. So you either switch the 314 to the 83 or f- switch the 83 to the 314, whichever one you can get. But you need uniformity. And the first thing you need to do is put a video up of you taking the chair to the fucking five head. No, you don't need to do that. Never do that again. Um, all right, Dan, we appreciate you. Still there? <laughs> He's trying to get back in. I know. Yeah. Where is he? You there? All right, brother. Dude, thank you so much. We appreciate you. We'll send as many Instagram folks your way as we can. Uh, but we recommend switching the 314 to the 83 or vice versa. I think I'm going to do that. I, I, I thank you very much. I know you guys are definitely the people to take the advice from. So I need, I need all that. I appreciate it. It's going to help yeah. me. Yeah. Right, and brother. you got to just pull out the old shit too, man. That, all that wrestling stuff that you used to do, man, that stuff's cool, dude. Well, I just, I'll just start throwing it out there. We'll see, we'll see what people think. Yeah. But gentlemen, thank you very much. I do appreciate it, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, you. brother. No, thank you, man. So nice talking to you. And, uh, I don't know. We'll stay in touch for sure. Sounds good, sir. Gentlemen, have a good uh, have a good evening. Good, well, whatever time it is there. And I uh, once again, I appreciate you guys thinking about me. Take care, brother. All right, brother. All right, guys. All right, D. There he is. Wow. Honestly, that was about two and a half hours, and only felt like hour forty five. That kind of flew by. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I've got. I flew by. I'm blown away. That, you know, this, that you enjoyed it as much as you did. It was two hours. I was like, guys, we got to stop. In my head, I'm like, we got to stop because Dan can go all day. You know, Dan is, Dan is an awesome dude. Like, I don't know if I mentioned this in the podcast, but you know, like we were all proud of this guy. You know, he comes in after doing what he did on the island and anything that happened afterwards, as far as sobriety goes, like we were all proud of him. Whoever knew him was proud of him. Everyone knew Dan is, being this fucking awesome guy, you know, for him to recognize that he had a problem and then, you know, try to try to beat it and then fail hard, hit rock bottom, which is what they say a lot of people do that eventually leads to, you know, consistency, you know, you know, it, it seemed like Cutthroat was sort of a stepping stone, not completely, but he ended up realizing and I'm proud. I'm always going to be proud of him. So go give him those followers, guys. Follow Dan Walsh eighty three Dan Walsh three one four on uh on Instagram. Yeah, let's try to get him more than eighty three followers on Twitter and more than three hundred fourteen on Instagram. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's already <laughs> pa- he's already passed those two. No, you know what I think, D? Tell me if you disagree. I think had we gotten to the more serious stuff before, 
right? And then we're getting to like an hour and 15 and then we throw in the wrestling stuff. Yeah, we probably would have cut it off and been like, all right, that's enough. I see you later, right? But because we did all the wrestling, we did all the comedy, we did all the bullshitting and we're already at like an hour 40 when we get to the real story of him and and the Miami airport and the sobriety and this, that, and that is like, I mean, you're not cutting that off. You're not cutting that short. You're not yada, yada, yada over that bisque. Right. So, so like, I think that that's the reason this ends up going so long is we kind of naturally went in what I think is the right order because had we gone to that stuff first, a, it probably would have, you know, it would not not kill the vibe, but it would have been an awkward transition to laughing about chair shots and stuff like that after the fact. But also I don't think we would have done the other stuff for as long you know what I mean? That we allowed the other stuff to go on after the fact. Yeah. So, so I yeah. think it's, ha- you know, it's a happy accident that this ends up being one of our longest episodes of all time. And here's the other thing, guys, that little eternal clock I have, you know, that I normally have for two reasons. One is if I know, you know, our guest is short on time, like, look, TJ Lavin, I'm not trying to keep him for that long. I know he's got a lot of stuff to do. Even in a quarantine, he's got stuff to do. You see him, he's hanging out with the Oakland Raiders at a Starbucks, right? So, you know, someone like TJ, not trying to keep him past his breaking point, overstay our welcome even electronically, right? And then the other thing is, I get it. You guys don't need five-hour podcasts every week. But now, that's not really the case. So I so I, I get it that now you guys want more content. You want more entertainment. So now if there's a guy like Dan who's happy to chat with us for as long as we want – you know, although I do feel bad for Lindsay in the next room, keeping quiet, you know, at that point, it's like, you know, late at night on a Friday. I'm sure she wants to do a little bit more. Yeah, but it's around, wrestling, but... but it's wrestling. It's wrestling. Yeah, that doesn't help my case. I'm not going to lie. She, uh, she, she stays quiet for enough <laughs> wrestling already. Trust me. You should see the look on her face. You should see the look on her face when I'm like, Hey, I want to watch NXT and then or I want to watch uh, AEW or something. And then AEW will be done. And she'll be like, all right, so it's over. And I'll be like, well, now I got to watch NXT. Yeah. And the look on her I'm face. I'm right there with her. Yeah, I know you are. Look, I'm like, Dan's I'm right like, there with I'm you. Like, Dan doesn't even watch I'm it I'm like, Lindsay, I'm trying, me and Dan were trying to get out of this fucking, you know, uh, wrestling school shit right off the bat. It was all Scott, Lindsay. It's all Scott. What school? Who's your trainer? Who's your coach? Hey, I expected when Did he, he asked him. Puppy? I expected to know who they were. I didn't know when he starts saying all the people and I had never heard a fucking name he was saying until he started talking about Evan Bourne, Matt Seidel. Yeah. And then, you know, so, some yeah. of the names you're saying, I do know Cowboy Bob Orton, of course, but, but uh, I wanted to know because, dude, I wanted to be a wrestler for a long time, too. You know, I dabbled a little bit, too. I was trained a little bit by Off of the Wild Samoan. But, uh, but you know, that's the story. Yo, for another listen, time. if we, if we do, if we do, uh, uh, if we really do Los Angeles next year, uh, during WrestleMania, I want to go to like one of these, like behind this, you know, one of these, uh, uh, what's independent it called? Shows? What is it? You want to go to like indie an shows? independent yeah, show? Do an yeah, indie dude, show. Those are the best shows. Let's see if we could get in the ring. If we, I well, want to get in the I ring. I want you to set me up. I want to do a flying elbow drop on somebody. I want to jump all, from the top rope on top of somebody. They don't just let anybody in the ring. You got to know somebody. Set me up. I set me up. Come on. You know somebody. You know everything about this. Yeah, set it I don't up. Get, I don't get to drop elbows in the Come ring. On. No, you just tell me. Get this guy. I'll tell you what. You get the manager. Ah. There, get him. This guy punched me in the head. You got we might be able to work like a bomb the MTV the head. angle. You know, you might be able to get in there. So we'll, we'll make it yeah, happen. Yeah. Be like, you go in there, you like, you like jump over the crowd. The guy like, oh, you know what? Like, oh, who's sorry. This jerk off? We have who's this jerk off jumping in from the crowd. Bam, he nails you in the head. Here we go. Derek, you we have up, a podcast. Like crying. I'm like, 
we have a podcast listener whose name escapes me, but he always hits me up. He runs a wrestling company, I believe out of Ohio, and they do uh, shows WrestleMania week. He was trying to get me to come to the show in Tampa. Um, obviously everything in Tampa went to shit, but maybe they have a show next, next year in, uh, in, in LA. And if you're listening, I'm sorry, I forget your name, brother, but, uh, they, they always shout us out and they run a wrestling company out of Ohio. We can get Derek in the, they'll, they'll probably let you get in the ring because they're big challenge maniacs too. I think it's, De- I, we have a, we have a, we have a patron. God damn you. Forgive me for, for forgetting your name. I think it's Derek. He was at Nashville. No, he's you're talking about John Williams. Is it John Williams? That's it. It was like a yeah. nice clean name. That was it. Yeah. John um, Williams. Yeah. He's a wrestler too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said that. And, and, uh, I was like, man, dude, we should like, try, I, I was just thinking like, we should do something. I, if I got to do a little bit of training or something like that, you know, we can do it for dude, some I'll content. I'll tell you right now, whatever. your first mistake will be if you do not think that you will get injured, you will get injured. Like if you try to ah. jump on that ring the way you would jump on a bed or whatever, like you'll separate your shoulder or something like that. I actually separated my shoulder. My brother put on a wrestling show at the JCC in Stanford, Connecticut, and I was the ring announcer. I was just the ring announcer. Ah. And then at the end of the show, I want to like show off my bumping skills. Like, right? Bump is when you like fall on your back. So I picked the biggest dude and I say, Hey, let me take a shoulder block just so I can bump and show everybody how great at bumping I am. Right. And he gives me a shoulder block and I take a bump and I land on my shoulder and I separated my shoulder and my shoulder still never really is, has never yeah. really recovered. Like yeah. all because I thought I was cool and I was going to fall on my back on the ring. And I've done that same thing a thousand times. I, yeah. I so maybe so we don't do any pra- so maybe we don't do any practicing we just go for it like jump through the jump through the ropes onto somebody that's what i'm well, talking maybe about maybe have a we'll the ropes, jump through the ropes. The bam uh body block bo- bo- whatever it's called flying body flying body boom all right well thank you guys to uh thanks to dan the table. i don't care we're doing it all we'll figure it out we have Switch a year to play NXT. Who knows if but that's even going to happen? Wrestling thing I have no idea when we're going to get to year, do another. All right. Uh, thanks to Dan Wall. Oh, thanks to all you guys for listening. Thanks to all you guys over at patreoncom mania. Please give us a chance. Check us out. No better week to sign up than this week. You get the whole month for fifteen dollars. You get every single bonus podcast we've ever done, and you get everyone we'd start doing this Wednesday right after the challenge goes off the air, fueled by questions from you guys, the Pod Squatters. But thank you guys just for listening to this. Uh, I know that money is tight for a lot of people right now, so do not feel obligated to sign up for Patreon if you're not in a good place to do so. Just keep tuning into Challenge Mania. You're doing more than enough. You're paying attention, and that's all we can ask for. So, D, I'll give you the last word. I think I just did. I just, like, wooed. I, like, I, I said I was going to jump through, uh, through the ropes. I was going to jump off the ropes. I said I was going to do NXT when I meant, like, the indie thing. Like, come, how much more is there? Thank you, patrons. We would not be able to do this without you. Period. All right, guys, this ends your time here on Challenge Mania. Take care of yourselves, and hopefully we'll see you in the future. The Challenge Mania shop is open. Head over to challengemania.shop today for the best way to support the podcast while looking good doing it. New designs and items added every few weeks. Maniacs, time to mobilize. Check out challengemania.shop today. Still paying hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Let's change that. At zenny.com, our factory direct model means no middlemen or outrageous markups. 
Just the same quality frames and lens options as the other guys, for one-tenth the price. Zenni offers prescription glasses starting at $6.95, as well as affordable sunglasses, blue blockers, and more. The best part? Try any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Visit zenni.com today and change the way you buy glasses forever.